Randall, we're not doing so good. I want you to call a witness has something to do with the case. Don't worry so much. I've got it under control. The defense calls George Lucas. George Lucas! State your name and latest film. Uh, George Lucas, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And do you think Phantom Menace is as good a movie as Empire? Well, certainly. I uh, think it's the best movie I've made yet. Permission to treat this witness as hostile. Mr. Lucas, how do you explain that in Star Wars, Obi-Wan tells Luke that when he met his father, he was a great pilot, but in Menace, he's just a little boy? Uh, well, my, my kids thought. And how come Obi-Wan tells Luke that Yoda is the Jedi that trained him, but in the movie, Liam Neeson trains Obi-Wan? Uh, well, the power of myth. Isn't it true you knew this was a bad movie? That you wrote it over a weekend but kept telling people it was done for years? Objection, Your Honor. The pond race was pretty cool. May I remind the court that Your Honor has never been in a George Lucas movie, and you were age-appropriate for the Liam Neeson role? I'm going to allow it. I want my eight bucks back. The Tainted Glove presents... Yumper and Svo at the show podcast with Tom Yumper Garcia. Oh, what a big man you are. Hey, let me buy you a pack of gum. I'll show you how to chew it. And Justin Svo Svoboda. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Two guys from Chicago talking movies. Welcome, everyone, to episode 20 of this live edition of Yumper and Swole at the Show, presented to you by the Tang Love Network. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tom Yumper Garcia, and I'm with my other co-host, Justin Swole Svoboda. How you doing, Mr. Svoboda? Yumper, I am sad right now, but I am excited for this episode. Yes, I'm extremely excited. This is something that's been in the works for months now uh, from one of our biggest supporters. Uh, reached out to us in our first episode to give us some pointers and whatnot. We are looking very, very forward to this episode. Absolutely. Very excited for this episode. But uh, let's get into it. Well, let's introduce him. Uh, Some of you might know him as the Mexican George Clooney. Uh, He is a bassist of a kick-ass band, Baron Plains, and he's a co-host of several podcasts, including From the 108 and the Southside Point of View, a Star Wars-based podcast with Sox Machine's Josh Nelson, the wonderful Cherizy E. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? You know, I love this picture up at the top of me as as weekend at, at Bernie's because I actually dressed as that for Halloween one year. Uh, so I got the members only jacket, got that little sweater. And then like throughout the night, people were carrying me around the, the party, just like kind of a uh, dead body. I mean, it makes uh, it makes drinking a lot easier when you have a little bit too much. You can say, I'm just in costume. Yeah, no one had any idea how drunk I was because I was just being thrown around like a rag doll. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, thanks, Terezi, for coming on. You know, you've been one of our biggest supporters, and we really, really appreciate you coming on for this one. Dude, I, I love the show, and it's uh, I'm I'm excited to be here and excited for the topic, of course. Yeah. Uh, so as we do every guest, uh, Swole gives you a list of interview questions. So take it away, Zoe. Yeah, so uh, you've obviously listened to the show before, and we just want to know a couple things. We, we we love these questions, and we we, we think we've got it down packed. Um, Treasy, when you are sick or feeling down, or you stay home from work or whatever, is there a movie that you put on that makes you feel better or um, discomforts you? Yeah, there there is, and it's it's a it's it's probably not the most comforting movie. I guess it's a funny movie. It's it's Harlem Nights. I will watch Harlem Nights 
And I think it's it's a combination of of two things. One, I love Eddie Murphy as well. Like I'm, you know, if, if you guys ever watched from the one like podcast, I'll reference Eddie Murphy stuff a lot. Um, but also like Red Fox is in it, and some of the older comedians are, are in it throughout the movie. And uh that just kind of reminds me of like growing up watching Sanford and Son with my dad and like and watching and like all the the old comedy stuff that like I probably shouldn't have been watching when I was a kid that my dad was like, ah, nah, you can watch this, you know? And, um, and so there's just that, that feeling of, of nostalgia to that movie. Um, even though it's a movie kind of from more from my generation. Um, so I, that's just something that I, I, I know like every line of the movie. So I'm watching it and just like quoting it back and just kind of, it makes me feel better than the condition I'm in when I am, when I am sick. I love that. I think that's that's like exactly why we asked that question because movies can like change your mood or alter your mood. And if that's your go-to, I love that. Now, um, we usually only have three questions, but we have a fourth question. You talked about um, your dad and um, letting you watch movies that you probably shouldn't have been allowed to watch. Do you remember um, the first time that your parents dropped you off at the movie theater? to go see a movie like by yourself. It's kind of like a rite of passage. So I don't remember them dropping me off uh, for this, but I do, I do remember uh, a time that I was probably 14 or 15. um, And me and my buddies were like, we had, we had seen clerks and then like mall rats was coming out. And like, we really wanted to see mall rats, but we were dumb. Um, And we thought that it was just at like every theater. So we just we just took the the orange line to uh, to Ford City, and uh, we went we went and we're like, why isn't it, why isn't it playing here? Like not realizing like that movies didn't just get released everywhere because like I said I was like fourteen fifteen years old and and dumb, and we ended up seeing Super Mario Brothers, which is like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> my whole life and i just remember you know there could have been some recreational stuff going on so like years later i was like you know what i don't really remember this movie i i should give it a chance terrible idea so i've seen that movie twice for no no good reason you know uh i brought this up on uh brian's podcast it's getting drafty one of my uh real close friends johnny his brother loved that movie and when he was a kid he actually recorded it on vhs from the tv and instead of putting super he put supper <laughs> so we called it the Supper Mario Brothers. <laughs> hey, just going over the chat, um, is it true that you um, got snuck into Showgirls when you were 15 with Beef Loaf? Yeah, so, you know, I don't know if you guys remember that movie coming out, but it was a big deal because it, like fir- it was like the first kind of big release of a NC-17 movie. And so I think we went to McClurk Court. Uh, is that the one down? downtown so we went we went there anyways and i just remember i was like 15 years old and like i like put down my hair and like i i wore like a leather jacket and just like kind of like tried to look as old as possible because believe it or not there was a point in my life where i looked young like i know it's hard to believe now because i look 50 years older than i actually am but there was there was a point and so i i remember we're like walking in and these guys all have like their driver's license i didn't even have a driver's license yet right i mean like i had no id so if they asked me for anything, I'd have to show them like a library card. But luckily, I guess I was grizzled enough that they just didn't even ask. And I just walked right by with right by with these guys. I'm having like weird visions of like beef on your shoulders in like a trench coat. 
like sneaking into the movie theater. <laughs> that would be awesome. I would love it if they would have, if they would have like uh, in the Obi-Wan series where there's just like, he just puts the coat over and there's just an extra set of legs going. Like nobody noticed uh, like that. They should have done that. I love that. I love that. And then I think the, like one of our final questions, because Yumper's got a specific one for you today. Um, what was your go-to movie theater growing up? So I think it was it was Ford City when we were kids. Like if we were going to go to a movie, I, our parents would would pack a, pack us in the car and go to Ford City. But I think the more memorable thing, because Ford City was kind of a, I mean, it's not better now, but it was kind of a dump then. Um, well, Ford Shitty for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, in but the more memorable is we used to go to the drive-in, like the that was a big thing. The Bel Air, like the. I don't remember which one it was. Honestly, I think there was like an Ames or a Zare near it. I can't remember. I was a little kid, but like I, I do genuinely look back at the, at the the driving experience and go, oh man, that was so awesome. And and to the to the point that and and this is a good segue into the Star Wars stuff. But uh, me and my wife went. I think it was it was during during the uh, kind of the lockdown. There was. Uh, there were certain places where we're having like drive-in movies and we went and watched uh, the original star Wars, I believe. Um, and, Oh, you know what? No, I think it was, I think it was empire. Cause it was like the 20th or 40th anniversary or something. And so we went and and watched that. And I'm like sitting in my car, just thinking like, my parents had to have hated this. This is awful. Like, <laughs> this is not comfortable. And my car's way more comfortable than whatever we had back then. So, like, I'm just like, they had to just, like, despise this. And I, I give them extra credit for taking us. I think that might be a good future episode, Yump, like, drive-in stories. Uh, I very, very specifically remember my dad taking me to see um, a Tim, Tim Burton movie. Um, it was Beetlejuice. And then the, the second one, because, Yump, like, drive-ins always did double features. Oh yeah. The second one was Jacob's fucking ladder when I was oh my like, God. when I was like seven years old, and, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and for the, for the longest time I grew up with a single father. So if he didn't have a babysitter, it was just like, fuck it. Close your eyes, man. Like, um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like I think that's, that, I think that might be a great, great now future episode. That's yeah. quite a drive-in movie for a, for a child. <laughs> I mean, like I I'm with you though. Like my, my parents would show us like, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff when we were when we were really young, um, which I appreciate because now I, I I enjoy those movies I think a little bit more because I like I was desensitized to like the ridiculousness of those movies very early on. Yeah, same thing with me. Uh, my first movie I can remember us going to the drive-in was uh, to see Needful Things and In a Mouth of Madness was a double feature. Um, oh, yeah, but my uh, my mom is actually a big horror like fan, like everything Stephen King, which got my brother and me into it. Uh, my brother's like. I think I told you this before, wrote his thesis on Stephen King and like horror in a small town setting. Like move, those horror movies are what we grow up on. So I'm a huge horror fan. Um, so that kind of desensitized me to like being scared a lot from like stuff that I think is kind of campy, but it's funny to me. Um, but totally share your passion with like horror movies. I wish, but I, I wish my that. dad was a horror movie fan. He was like a fan of Vietnam flicks, man. Like we're going to go see Jacob's Ladder <laughs> about PTSD. And then the first movie I remember him buying on VHS, he was like, hey, I got a new VHS player. This is the first movie I got. We're going to watch Platoon. <laughs> so <laughs> My dad, too. I, I like Apocalypse Now. I, I saw Apocalypse Now when I was like seven. So <laughs> 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 yeah, for sure. Oh, my God. Apocalypse Now at seven. Jesus. 
Good Lord. Um, Yo, do you want to take it away with the final question we got? Yeah. So this question is sent in from a friend of the show, uh, my wife, Jen. <laughs> uh, she says, so we know that you're married to the lovely Cornsey, who is an actress. And we want to know, are there any movies that she got you into that you normally would have been into if you hadn't met her? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so... I think it, well, anything from Disney that's not Star Wars, I would say. But, uh, but, but really, I think uh, something that that sticks out is um, I've I've been playing in bands for I don't know twenty five years or whatever, and so like I, I love live music and stuff like that. And I had never really gone to the theater much, um, and my wife really got me into that. And the, that that's a, a different type of live performance, but I you know I found to to just love it. And I think I, we went to the theater, to, we went to the movie theater to see this, but when Les Mis came out as uh, an actual film, I, I remember going to the theater to see that. And uh, the, absolutely no way would I have been like, yeah, this one's number one on my list. I'm going to go check this out at the, at, at the movie theater. Um, so I, I think anything kind of musical related with the exception of Little Shop of Horrors, because I have loved that movie since I was six years old. Did your better half make you go see Cats in the movie theater? No, um, that's because she likes good musicals. Uh, so <laughs> cats like we I think we had cats on one of our our subscriptions. So we do like the Broadway in Chicago subscription, uh, like the season tickets type thing there. And uh, that was there. And she's like, I'll go with by myself or something. You don't want to see this. Like she's like, this is it's it's just too cheesy. So, and so when it came out as a movie, we were both like. I don't know about this one. And then you started getting the reviews and it was like, yeah, definitely not this one. When, when cats came out, my wife wanted to go see it. And she was like, she was smart. She was like, I'm not making you go see this. And she went into the theater and she, she felt like everybody was like looking at her and she felt the need to stand. Hey, I have seen, and she like listed all the other movies that came out around that time. I think it was like the last Jedi and a couple of was like, hey, I've seen all these movies. I'm just here because I wanted to see this. She felt her, her need to defend herself. I love that. Oh, man. <clears throat> all right, guys. Uh, so let's move on to our next segment of what we were watching. So it's what we want to pop us off. Yeah, absolutely. This is um, a section that we do every week. We are going to get Cherizy what he's watched. But I went to the theater a couple of times and I saw. Glass Onion, Knives Out, the sequel to Knives Out. Um, I loved it. Ed Norton. No spoilers. I haven't seen I it yet. I won't say any spoilers. Ed Norton's in it. He's fantastic. Um, I don't want to say Ed Norton needs to make a comeback, but I wish he would make more movies um, and not just like Wes Anderson movies. Um, I, love, I loved him in this. I loved Batista in this. The whole cast was phenomenal. And then for the lighter fare, we went to go see the Harvey Weinstein movie, she said, about the Harvey Weinstein saga. And this was an absolutely fantastic movie. Carrie Mulligan was in it. I loved her in um, Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. Uh, even though that movie was nowhere near as good as the original, I loved her in that. I liked this movie. It was very powerful. Uh, don't go see it if you are looking for something to lift you up because it's hard to watch. Um, the bullshit that women have to go through in the industry, in any industry, um, but very, very powerful movie. What about you, Yump? Uh, so I went with two Reliables. Uh, the first was being John Wick with Keanu Reeves. Uh, I saw a lot of clips on it from TikTok, so I decided to watch the full movie. Usually that's how 
something piques my interest from before I go back and watch it. Love the movie. I'm waiting uh, for, I'm really waiting for the new ones to come out next uh, year in March. And then another movie we talked about, we kind of talked about with Baloney was Push. Uh, with Chris Evans and Dakota Fanning, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's with the kind of people who have psychi- uh, psychological powers or telekinesis. Uh, there's a guy who can manipulate matter. It's actually a really good take on mutant powers. It's not the greatest movie, but it's very entertaining. And there was supposed to be a sequel to it. But of course, this one kind of bombed at the box office. So they kind of cut it out. But it was an entertaining watch for me. What about you, Treasy? good. I'll go check that out. So what about you, Treasy? What have you watched? Uh, so I think it like recently I've watched uh, uh, Spirited. Have you have, have you guys seen this? It's the the it's the Christmas movie with Will Ferrell and um, Ryan Reynolds it, and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, it's uh, it's all right, um, but there is a theme in it that I want to bring back in the Star Wars stuff. So I wanted to mention it. Um, and then I watched the uh, watched the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, holiday special, which I thought was a lot of fun. I thought it was, it was, uh, it was a good one. Um, I mean, it doesn't really push the story forward of anything, but like it's it's a, just a fun uh, little story. Uh, and then I, I watched Rogue One again because I just finished watching Andor, obviously, um, and rewatching Rogue One. I like if you've watched the Andor series, I would recommend going back and watching Rogue One again. It'll uh, it, it doesn't necessarily change anything thing in the movie but like you you feel a little bit differently about some of the scenes and you notice some people a little bit more than maybe you would have uh before so i think if you've watched andor um, i'm assuming if you're watching this you've probably seen at least a few episodes um but yeah then i would definitely say go back and check out rogue one yeah uh so i haven't finished andor yet like i told you in our dms uh so after i watch an episode i try to go back and watch your guys um review of it because i really like your guys input on it um, but I'll go back and definitely check out Rogue One because that's like one of my favorite Star Wars movies. If you're doing that, you should tell us how way off we were on predicting <laughs> things because I haven't gone back and gone through all of those to just be like, hey, you predicted this, idiot. This did not happen. <laughs> yeah, I'll be sure to, to DM you. Um, but you already mentioned it. So let's get into what we're all here for, which is a Star Wars. So when we came up with this idea, oh, yeah. we've been going back and forth for, I don't know, since the show pretty much came about. Uh, I knew I wanted to have you on. You know, we both did uh, to get you talking about your perspective of Star Wars, and you're just a hilarious person to talk to in general. Um, but Thank you. we decided that instead of doing the movies in chronological order, it would be too much referring to the original Star Wars that came out in the 70s and 80s. So we decided to put those first, followed by the prequels, and then by the last three that were released. So, awesome. gentlemen, are you ready to get into it? Oh, man, I'm always ready to talk about Star Wars. All right, let's, uh, let's get into our first one. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack, and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the survival of the Rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. 1970s Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. Uh, this movie was w- written and directed by George Lucas, starring Alec McGinnis, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader, and David Prose as the physical actor who played Darth Vader. This movie had a budget of a million, $11 million and made $775 million at the box office. Cherizi, tell me why you like Star Wars. 
I mean, it's it's just a great coming of age story, right? I mean, that's that's at its heart what it is, right? Luke Skywalker is, you know, he's he's got a very strange childhood. He's he's growing up with his his uh, aunt and uncle raising him. They refuse to really tell him anything about his parents, so he's kind of in the dark as to like who he is, who his parents were, and then you know he he ends up in an extremely dire situation when he's like, how old is he in this? Like 19 or something like this. I think he's like 19 years old at this point. Like imagine that kind of weight being thrown on you. Like you, you find these, you get these droids, you get this message, you go talk to the wizard in the, (laughs) in the middle of the desert. And then you come back and like your whole place is burned down and you got the, the charred bits of aunt and uncle that, that raised you. And now you're off to space where you've never left this planet. You've lived extremely sheltered and you're off to space to, to try and uh, face incredibly terrible odds. And you learn a lot about yourself along the way, of course. Right. And so, I mean, like, I think that's, that's kind of the, the thing that, that you take from, from Luke's journey is that like, he's put in in a terrible spot and then he's got to learn about himself to get through it. Um, and I mean, that's what everyone's life is kind of like, right? I mean, like no one's getting charred up, but like, oh, at least I hope not. But like in in the end, like, you know, you're, you're learning about yourself all, all through life. And that's that in a microcosm and really in an intense one. Um, but I've just always loved the story and just like, it's, it's something that like, I just, I, I go back to this over and over, but the thing that is most important to me in this is Darth Vader scared the shit out of me when I was a little kid and I'm still scared of Darth Vader. I mean, like he walks through that door in the beginning of the movie and you, you are terrified. Children that watched this movie had to be all be terrified. You see that in the theater gigantic. This is the seventies man had to be, had to be scary as hell. What about useful? So, Real quick, once again, I don't know the audio clips that are going to be played before they play them. Um, I do the PowerPoint and Yump does the audio. And I heard that audio of that line. And like I had a fight back, not like tears, but like like goosebumps and like emotions. Because I hear that audio and it takes me back to being a kid. And like it's a beautiful moment in the movie when she's putting the message into, you know, R2-D2. Um, and yes, Treasy, there are very few moments on film where I look at the movie and I'm like, holy, holy shit, I'm watching this happen. And one is when Heath Ledger or Joker walks into that back room and meets with the mafia in the Dark Knight. And the other one, the most important one, is when Darth Vader first appears on the screen in Star Wars. Those moments take me back and I'm like, holy shit. I, I, I can't believe that this is real. I can't believe that George Lucas made this for us. Um, I know George Lucas gets a lot of shit for this franchise and directions that it went. But like, this is his baby and this was his baby. And it's it's just a perfect movie for a kid that's, you know, anywhere from seven, eight, nine, all the way up to, you know, a 40 year old man that grew up with it. Uh, the lightsabers are still the most badass weapon that you could ever imagine. 
and it's just a piece of pop culture iconic history and it's perfect and the one thing that i want to talk about um and this is going to be an ongoing theme up until the last three like the the last three movies are how fucking badass the movie posters are the prequel movie posters are fantastic the og trilogy movie posters are fantastic the artwork alone like brings up this imagery in your mind that's just amazing and these movies will always be special to me. How do you feel about 1977 Star Wars, Yump? Uh, you guys, you know, you guys, I can't say any better than what you guys actually put out there. Uh, I love this movie as a kid. Um, little uh, confession. I didn't see Star Wars until they actually released a special edition where they added the actual extra uh, features in the late 90s. And I actually went back and watched the original versions of them, uh, to which I actually like better than the newer stuff they put in. but. Um, just fell in love with it from there. I love the uh, cinematography of the movie. I love the fact that George Lucas basically was a huge fan of the Flash Gordon series. And that's where he crafted this idea of Star Wars in his mind. He thought the movie was going to bomb so bad that when it opened in the weekend, he actually went to Hawaii to uh, get away from any negative press. But his buddy Steven Spielberg told him it was going to be pretty good. Um, and, you know, there's some interesting stuff just doing a lot of digging around as we do for the show. Uh, I know uh, if you guys listened to our Halloween episode when we said, um, well, actually our Nightmare on Elm Street episode when we said that Jack Lee Earl Haley went to the audition for Johnny Depp's role in Nightmare on Elm Street and Earl Haley eventually played Freddy Krueger. Well, Robert England worked on, you know, Halloween 1 by putting the leaves on the floor, which is John Carpenter's movie. And then basically Robert England went to audition for Luke Skywalker in this movie. And when he got turned down, he told his roommate, Mark Hamill, to go audition. Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> oh my God, that's crazy. So, I did not know that. Yeah, so it's a lot of little like increases and like crazy things like that, how small the world is that these people are just like know each other. Oh yeah, you go audition for this. Um, I think it's perfectly cast. You know, there's been talks about how Harrison Ford was unknown and they wanted Al Pacino in there. It's just, I don't see anybody else being Han Solo besides Harrison Ford. You guys talked about like iconic scenes, the walking into the cantina. I mean, that's still used today. The music from that is still used today. You know, it's iconic. It's still used in other Star Wars movies. You know, that iconic scene. They try to recreate it. I just love everything about this movie. Yeah, I mean, I loved, I love the cantina scene. I think that 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 was, you know, that's something as a kid, you're you're drawn in by like all these like different weird aliens, you know, and you're just like, oh, this is really cool. This is like this is something new. And then like as an adult, I'm going back and watching that and going, like, how did they do all of that in 1977? Like that's, that's wild to me. Um, but Vo, you, you mentioned the the posters and I, I couldn't agree more with you on, on the posters. They are incredible. And you get, you got to think about the time, right? I mean, like there's, there's something to us having the internet and seeing trailers as soon as they come out and all this stuff now that we kind of forget that this was what they had, right? This was their media to like try and draw people in. And you got to, I'm like, it pains me to think that like half the time that this beautiful poster was probably in black and white in some newspaper. And that was like the, the way people even would hear about it. Um, but yeah, I mean like that, this was their, this was their trailer, right? I mean like people, like they had trailers, but you had to count on people actually getting to a movie to see them. Yump brought up um, a great point about seeing the, the re-releases in the nineties with the added footage. And I know that those re-releases get a lot of shit because the CGI doesn't match up with the rest of the movie. But for me, that was my first opportunity to see these movies on the big screen. 
Like I never got to see the OG on the big screen or Empire or Return on the big screen. But my dad was like, hey, let's go see these. And we went to Sony Theaters in Streamwood. So like I, I have some like very like sentimental love for those re-releases, even though those um the CGI is, is pretty bad. Um <laughs> I, I love those re-releases because it got me into the theater to see these movies and it created this like infatuation with Star Wars. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, that's like was my first introduction. I mean, I've heard of it, I've seen it on TV a couple of times, but to watch actually the re-releases in theater were actually was awesome. And then it made me want to explore well, how it looked before. And I kind of liked the original look to it, but I do appreciate how they tried to upgrade it. And everything was done by George Lucas. Uh, one thing I do find really interesting is that uh, Sir Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan, hated his role. Like going forward, <laughs> yes. he like literally, I think there's a story of somebody coming up to him with his mom saying, oh, I loved you in all your movies. You know, especially loved you as you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's my favorite movie. And his mom's like, yeah, he can recite like all your lines. And he looked at her and said, I'm very sorry for you. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think there's there's something too like about like, because um, he, he comes back in, in, in a later movie, right? I mean, like, I'm trying yeah, to. Yeah, really he's, he's in all three. Jedi. Yeah, he's in but all so, three. I can't remember which one it was, if if it was Empire or Jedi, where like they had to give him part of the box, like the the box office to get him to even be in it. And like, so he made like as much as he hated it, like he made so much money off of being in Star Wars. Yeah, he totally did. I think he was the highest uh, paid actor, of course, on the movie. I mean, he was the most recognizable actor in terms of who they had. But uh, just like if you guys have a chance, go and try to read his like letters. He wrote a letter to somebody in America talking about who he was acting with. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to South Africa for this sci-fi movie. I don't know if it's going to be any good, but if they meet my demands for money, I'm going to do it. And he's like, there's some guy named uh, Harrison Ford. I don't know if that's right or not. He's like, Harrison Ford. I, I maybe Have you heard of him? He goes, there's some guy named Mark Hamill. He's a young dude. Yeah, he, he looks okay, but he's... Everybody treats me like I'm over 100 years old here. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's totally like an old man yelling at the cloud. But I mean, he put to, you know, aside his personal differences and did a great job as Obi-Wan. He did. He did. So I have a few, I'm going to get, I'm going to sprinkle these throughout because there's, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on the internet guys. So there's, there's crazy theories all over the place. Have you guys ever heard this one? And do you believe it that, uh, Baru and Lars were not killed by stormtroopers, but it was Boba Fett uh, that took him down with the flamethrower. I've heard this, and I honestly don't know. I think uh, it could, like, I see the theory of them getting escaping, but I really don't know. Hmm. What about you, Swell? What do you think? I don't know. I go by what I see on the screen. I do know the there is an action figure out there of. Um, Uncle Owen after the the flamethrower incident or whatever and it's just his ashes at the bottom of that oh action God. figure package <laughs> I need that um, but that's also very grim <laughs> like I think if they weren't killed I think they would try to you know put them in it so maybe in the future they might bring them back to kind of say oh they were alive but I mean a lot of shit happened while they were away so I, I was well, no I mean it's not that they're alive is that like uh, Boba Fett was came with oh okay okay yeah the flamethrower was like I mean like since then they've they've shown 
uh, stormtroopers with flamethrowers, but mm. like they hadn't for a while. So I think the theory kind of spawned that like, yeah, Boba Fett was there and he he flamethrowered the, these guys. He could have. I mean, uh, they kind of set the precedent that uh, Boba Fett hates Jedi. I mean, and, you know, Attack of the Clones is kind of, that precedent is kind of put in there, which we'll get to later. But I mean, that could be, it's a good theory. Um but uh, yeah, what was the thing they chose the skull that's burning when they, when he goes up there. So it had to be one of them. But yeah, it could have. But he could have. But yeah, let's move on to our uh, our next one, guys. We can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you if you only knew the power of the dark side. Obi Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Star Wars Episode V, uh, Empire Strikes Back, released in 1980, directed by Irvin Kirshner, who also directed Never Say Never, a James Bond film, Robocop 2, which is one of my favorites, and The Horrible on Deadly Ground, a Steven Seagal movie. Uh, starring Alan Guinness, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Billy Dee Williams, and James Earl Jones as the voice of Vader. Uh, this movie had a budget of $30 million and a box office of $549 million. So, well, tell me about Empire Strikes Back. First of all, um, for all those of you guys that are watching, um, if not, Google it. But look at this fucking movie poster. This poster is a piece of art. You have Darth Vader in the background. Um, you have... Han and Leia, and then you have Luke on the fucking Tauntaun, right? And the movie opens up on Hoth, right? And Luke riding his Tauntaun. Um, you want to talk about perfect sequels? This is the perfect sequel. Um, it, it, the, the audio that you used is probably one of the most quoted, iconic lines in movie history. This is the example of the sequel being better than the original. This is the perfect follow-up. I love it. Cherizi, your turn. Oh man. So this is this is my favorite of this. I mean, this is my favorite Star Wars movie. And I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But I often think back to just the size of George Lucas's humongous balls to walk into the and go it, it when they talk about the sequel and he goes, look, everything's gonna go horrible for everybody and we're, we're going to get our main guy is going to get his hand cut off. We're going to, we're, we're going to freeze this guy in carbonite and send him off. God knows where, like, you know, all these people are going to uh, basically going to die. It's good. It's, it's going to be all this horrible stuff. And then like three years later, we'll put on another movie. That'll have a happy ending. But, but right now, right now it's going to be all horribleness for this, for this movie. And they went, yeah, that sounds great. Um, and he got to make that. And I mean, obviously, the the success of the first one bleeds into that. But like, can you imagine that now? Like, can you imagine him making this movie now? Like, they would they would tone it down so much. They wouldn't let it have so many down notes at at the end. And so, like, I I think that that's something that like would almost be impossible to make now as a sequel to a movie. Um, and and it's in. It's ensuring that you have to have a third, which uh, again, what what company is going to uh, allow that at this point for not for someone who's got a huge franchise already, who's had one big movie. And so I, I'm 
I'm just always blown away by that when I when I think back on this. And this is like 1980, man. Like it's not like it's not like all of, there was movies out that were like all just like ending horribly like this. So like I I don't know. It's just always been amazing to me that he he was able to pull this off. And it's it's such a good movie, man. And it's it's just like so well acted too. You basically just did. There's so many down notes. Uh, no, no, yeah, you I, just did Dante's <laughs> dialogue with Salsa Shark and Clerks. He's like, Empire had a better ending. Like, you basically just did that verbatim, and I'm very impressed. But you're not wrong, <laughs> is the thing. Like, this movie, you know, the world isn't perfect. Movies aren't don't always have a happy ending. This you you nailed it. That's and that's what you got to love about it, right? That's what you you, you have to appreciate about it. Is it's like you get to watch a movie within a series of movies. And so not everything's going to go well. And this is, this is really the, the, the conflict of overall opera. That is the first three star Wars. Movies. Well, and I think that that speaks to George Lucas, not like um, pandering to the studios, right? Like this was like, Hey, this is how I want to write this movie. I have a bigger vision. And we kind of knew that he had a bigger vision. And then it, it came to fruition with the prequels. Um, but like he didn't pander to anybody. He made the movie that he wanted to make or write or when Kirshner directed it, but he wrote the movie that he wanted to write. Um, and I, I think it's, it's perfect. Yeah. This movie is uh, considered one of the best, if not the best sequels in movies uh, looking at a list from 2005, it was ranked number eight of the all time top 100 movies, which is ridiculous considering it's a sci-fi movie. Uh, and to speak to George Lucas having big balls, uh, previously in Star Wars, he actually took the cut of the profits on the back end because he didn't know if it was going to be profitable. He assumed it wasn't. And he made all that money from that. And the franchise, well, this movie, to avoid sharing creative rights, he put up $18 million of his own money and took out the rest for the budget in a loan because he didn't want to share creative rights. So it was going to be his version and vision of how he wanted this movie to happen. And I find it kind of funny that, Teresa, you're saying how dark it is, which it is. But Harrison Ford originally wanted to kill off Han Solo in this movie. Uh, <laughs> he just didn't and, want to be in the movies yeah, anymore. And it's going forward to how, um, you know, in the next movie, just it's it's a long playing thing he wanted to do. But George Lucas was totally against it. So that's why he gets frozen in Carbonite. And he says, I love you and I'll be back as ad-libbed because they didn't know if he was going to be back or not for the next episode or next uh, could film. That, so they so they put him in Carbonite just to make sure that if he wants to come back, they can bring him out. At least he didn't mail in his <laughs> performance like in The Force Awakens. I mean, he's yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to we'll get to that. <laughs> all right, but I, I uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's incredible. Like everybody is is absolutely incredible in this. Like that, and and they they do some things in this to to time jump things well, right? Because you know, there's some some lapse in time between them and the, in that very beginning scene, when they're on Hoth, Harrison Ford being as concerned as he is for Luke and going out and, and trying to, to find him like, that's not something that uh new hope Harrison Ford would really do. Mm -hmm. Right. And you could see that the change in his character in that moment without giving a long explanation of how this guy changed, right? Like it's just, it's just shown. And I, I love that about, about these early movies that they were able to jump the, as much as they did and still make it feel real continuous. Another thing that I love about the movie itself is 
you know, the, the first movie took place primarily on, you know, Darth Vader spaceships or the Falcon or whatever. Yeah, we had some we had some stuff in the desert. Um, but like this movie just feels much bigger. Like you have Hoth and you have uh, the rebel base and you have, you know, inside the Death Star, you can kind of get to see the depths of it when 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 Luke's hanging there. The movie just and the universe just feels bigger, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. Uh, the whole change of scenery was great. You know, the, the introduction of different characters, like as a kid and even as a grown adult, like you want to see aliens. So the Tauntaun, I thought the Tauntaun was pretty badass when he fights the Snow Yeti, the monster in the cave cavern. Oh, yeah. It's pretty badass. And that actually was like, I was like, holy shit, when it was happening, I remember watching it and I'm like, what the hell is going on? That was, you know, that whole scene is awesome. And just, you know, the this series, this franchise has so many iconic scenes. We talked, touched on them in the first one. You know, the whole, I am your father, um, that whole, even though people have the Mandela effect of no, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I'm the, I goes, I am your father. Like the trans, you know, the way he says it there, that's like, I kind of, it's in all movies. I mean, Pitch Perfect fucking brings it up. And that movie with saying that everybody should have known because uh, Vader means father in German. But this movie is just, it's perfect in every way. I love it. I think uh, it's my second favorite in the movies. And there's a reason it's because I saw something before it uh, that we're going to get to next. But I, I love the way that George Lucas had this laid out. And I love all the characters. And the, like you said, Sharizi, the character arc of Han Solo is very, very good. As you see him as kind of like a uh, person who's very selfish besides caring for himself and Chewie. And you see him how he's getting attached to Luke and Leia. I love that you also brought up Pitch Perfect because I discovered yesterday that Beef Loaf is a fan of the Pitch Perfect series. And it made me feel better about myself because I love those movies too. So makes me feel worse about beef loaf. That's all it makes me feel. <laughs> and yes, uh, Mr. Han, he said, don't forget Mark Hamill's accident caused him to add that in the first scene where he's captured by a snow yeti. Yeah, so actually when this started to film, Mark Hamill's wife gave birth to their first child. And right after the day after she gave birth, he actually flew out to go do the scene of the snow yeti. And he broke his thumb in that first mm. scene of the first day. So that's why they had to add that in to the uh, whole uh, filming process. Which, uh, that's a good catch there, Mr. Han. I thought he broke his thumb slamming it in the door on the set of Corvette Summer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, this movie is perfect in every way. I love everything about it. And then we also get, you know, we didn't fail to mention Frank Oz's uh, appearance as Yoda. You know, that's uh, who's become an yeah. iconic character. I mean, that that whole scene is is great. And it's, you know, it, it's used, uh, it's, it's reflected in a lot of uh, later stuff that we'll surely get to. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's move on to our next one, guys. Pull up! Oh, crap! Pull up! Take a piece of action. Green food. Stay close to holding sector and each other. Admiral, we have enemy ships in sector 47. It's a trap! Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, released in 1983. Uh, it's directed by Richard Marquand, who wrote Nowhere to Run, a John Claude Van Damme movie, and he was director of Jagged Edge and Birth of the Beatles. Uh, this movie stars Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Billy Dee Williams, Carrie Fisher, Ian McDermott, James Earl Jones, and Alec Guinness. Um, had a box office of 475 million on a budget of 42.7. Cherizi, tell me about Return of the Jedi. Uh, I mean. I think Return of the Jedi, you have to, if you had to pick uh, a worst out of the first three, it's, it's probably Jedi, but that's, I don't like to do that because like, 
it's still a really good movie. I I enjoy this movie so much, I, especially the the beginning. I just really love the the beginning of the uh, of the movie when they're when they go into Jabba's Jabba's palace and they they rescue Han and then Han's blind shooting uh, uh, shooting and at, at, at uh, basically at at Lando's feet, um, <laughs> trying not to hit him. I, I love all that. I I think the Ewoks are. A little silly. I think that the the band in Jabba's Palace is a little silly, and I don't care. I love it all, and so, and I, I think too. I mean, I think the point of of the Ewoks being so small and and having no weapons is to really show that you know it it doesn't matter of all the might you have in the world if if you are you know if you're doing evil the people are going to rise up and they're going to stop it and by any means necessary. Right. And that's, that's the Ewoks. You're destroying this Ewok planet. You don't even care that they're there and you're so ignorant of it that they're the ones that are going to come up and, and trip you and, and knock you down. And I love that part about it, even though the Ewoks are ridiculous, who cares? Like, I mean, like, I think it, you got to just love that. And I think Max Rebo is still probably one of the best piano players on the planet and I'm not going to go away from that. And I, I'm telling you, he's still alive, no matter what uh, anyone else tries to tell me. Yes, uh, Terezi, we are both big lovers of Max Rebo. <laughs> uh, I do agree with you. He is still alive. Uh, that That's another scene that I love. Uh, taking outside of the special feature scene where they had that song and dance put in, but just having them play in there, it, it cracks me up. To. Yeah, totally didn't need to be put in there. But you mentioned the Ewok, so... As a kid, I saw the first two Ewoks movies and, you know, my dad and mom actually told me, you know, that's from the Star Wars and that's what got me into the special features that were released in the, in the late 90s. But I love those movies. I, and this actually, Return is actually my favorite Star Wars movie just because it's the first one I saw and it was just so much going on. You know, when they, they fall into the pit, you know, um, even though they didn't have that uh, Venus flytrap come out, but when they just went down and just burped, that cracked oh, me yeah. up as a kid because they would just fall down there and burp. Jabba the Hutt looked badass. Uh, he was very intimidating. And he had that little creature on that would just laugh the whole time. Shout to Wookiee Day. The little creature that reminded me of um, Eric from uh, Billy Madison. <laughs> that, that laugh. Uh, salacious crumb. Yeah. Uh, and plus Layla, Layla, you know, in her uh, slave outfit was every teenage boy's dream. The, the movie is just excellent. I love everything about it. I know you, you would say it was the weakest of the three, but it's my personal favorite and then comes Empire Strikes Back. But it's because of, like I said, the thing with the Ewoks. And I think it's I got so much action in it. It's awesome. I do like the story that it has with Luke trying to convince his dad to turn back to being good. And it does, even though Vader dies, spoiler alert, they do, um, <laughs> he does redeem himself. But there's an ongoing theme in Star Wars, which I think is kind of funny because uh, Vader comes back as a sports ghost, which means he had, you know, is technically good. But dude fucking destroyed like planets and killed billions of people. <laughs> so, so, okay, you know, this, this is why I wanted to mention uh, Spirited, because there's a theme in Spirited of like, how long you got to be good after they, after the, you've, the three ghosts visit Irredeemable. you. Irredeemable. <laughs> right. And like, well, how, how long you got to be good before you're before you're redeemed? Right. Like Darth Vader did like one good thing. And it was just like he was dying already. And like and he just he killed the guy that was going to kill his son. Like it's 
I mean, like I would expect anyone to try and do that. Like it's, that's not like, I don't know how that flipped him back to being like a good guy. Uh, so I, I always have, that's a little bit of a question for me and I'm glad you brought it up. Yum. Yeah. That's something I've always asked too. Uh, maybe they were going by the Catholic principles of if you uh, ask for forgiveness before you die, you're good. So <laughs> I don't know, but I always thought it was kind of funny. Like everybody like, Oh, Darth Vader, you know, great guy. And I'm like, no, nah, he's not. He fucking blew up planets. <laughs> like, but um, I mean, We'll, we'll talk about what he does in the prequels, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, that's even worse. Oh boy, that one's a little hard to come back from. Definitely. By the way, Luke, you were you were carrying that lightsaber around for a while, buddy. <laughs> but uh, like we said earlier, Harrison Ford again pushed for Han Solo to die in this movie <laughs> to make it seem like he died for <laughs> something. And George Lucas was like, "Nah, nah, we gotta keep all the main characters alive," which they did. Uh, I found it crazy. Like I was talking about Jabba the Hutt. They said that it was um, a fully animatronic figure that weighed 2,000 pounds and took about six people to work, which must have been a pain in the ass. But it's beautifully done. I'm a really big fan of practical effects. I think if CGI looks good, uh, you know, it's good for me. But I really like practical effects. And I think like I'm really a big nerd and see how everything works. And the more practical you get, the more of a fan I am of the effect. And I think that the fact that they used a big thing for Jabba was just a great um, you know, thing for me as a nerd. But yeah, uh, and, and the original ending, apparently Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Anakin Skywalker were supposed to be resurrected. Oh boy. <laughs> and, on Endor, but they decided to just keep them as sports ghosts. So I don't know how they would have done that in the story, but that was the original ending that was planned. I think for me, the the biggest thing that you notice in this movie is the advance in technology that was used to make it like the camera work when they're in the forests. Um, you can tell that technology has been advanced significantly and the movie looks clearer and brighter and crisper. Um, I, I don't know where I rank this in terms of it's I love this movie. It's not better than Empire, but I get why it's some people's favorites. Also. I kind of fucking like the Ewoks. Nothing wrong with liking the Ewoks, man. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, I I do have another crazy uh, internet theory for you guys here is that, and this was, this was, so there was such a gap in these movies and the prequels that we're going to get to in a minute that like all kinds of different theories came up about like what, what would be episodes uh, seven through nine, if they ever, if they ever made them. Um, and there was a lot of people that thought when Luke goes to strike the emperor, that that is actually the start of his turn to the dark side. So there was a lot of theories about Luke going to the dark side, which I would have been all for. Um, we didn't quite get that. Yeah, I think uh, going forward, that would have been a lot better storyline than what we got. Um, <laughs> uh, it would have been a lot more interesting to see how it goes. Pretty sure I had a bootleg guy. <laughs> we we absolutely did, and I was so Beefle have put up a, a comment that said, "Pretty sure we had a bootleg copy of Jedi." And for for those of you who aren't familiar, me and Beefle are our brothers. Uh, and I remember this because wait a minute, wait a minute. we you guys are brothers. <laughs> hey man, I don't know. I don't know that everybody who's listening knows me personally. So we. I remember this because we were in a video store and you guys were talking about video stores not too long ago on the show. And we were in take three video, the one I was telling you guys about on in Twitter. And uh, I remember my dad pulls it off the shelf and I was like, dad, when we get this home, we should tape this. And so we can have it and watch it over. And he's like, shut up. 
That's something like my kid would say if I was doing something bad. He'd be like, because he's so like, doesn't know what's going on in terms of doing something bad. That, that I would, that's something my kid would totally say. That's hilarious though. Um, but like you were saying, in terms of this movie, you know, it's not the greatest, but it's my personal favorite. And I told you guys why. Uh, I thought it was funny reading on some things how they had the emperor's chair was supposed to be mechanical. But during the uh, shot, it actually broke. So um, Ian McGurdy had to actually push with his feet. <laughs> so he, oh my God. So if you, now I'm going to look for that when I watch it over again. Uh, but, you know, some of the scenes they did cut out that I thought were pretty cool. Like, I don't know if you've seen it, Cherise, but there's actually a scene where C-3PO and R2 are talking and Luke's actually in the back assembling his lightsaber to where it gets the green. Uh, yeah. Spear. And I thought that oh, scene man, was yeah. excellent. I wish, I wish I would have kept that in. I wish they would have kept that because like the, he just has a new uh, lightsaber with no explanation. Mm. And then the, the, there's another, uh, there's a deleted scene in Empire that I would really have liked them to keep when uh, it's just kind of funny. So I know why they didn't keep it, but like the, the stormtroopers come in and apparently they had captured one of those, what are they? Wampas, the big mm-hmm. uh, white snow monster. And they had it in a room and C-3PO directs like all these stormtroopers to go in the room with the Wampa and then like close the door behind yeah, that would have been kind of <laughs> stuff like that. It's a, like, little, it's a little goofy, but like I was like, oh man, I love well, I, I mean, would have loved to see this. I mean, he left in a blooper where a stormtrooper bangs his fucking head on the door. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> that's all you know, all hands on deck, man. Just put it in there. But uh let's get into uh our next one, guys. Your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Mm, afraid to lose her, I think. Mm-hmm. What does that got to do with anything? Everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, released in 1999, written and directed by George Lucas, his first time directing a Star Wars movie since um, the original Star Wars, starring Ian McGregor, Liam Neeson, Natalie Portman, Ian McDermott, and Jake Lloyd. Uh, this movie had a budget of $115 million and made a whopping $1 billion at the box office. Swole, I know you're a big fan of The Phantom Menace. Tell us why. Yes, I was muted. I'm sorry. I was so anxious to get Brian's comment up there. Fuck you, Brian. Yes, episode one happened. Um, I'm just kidding. I love you, Brian. Um, so I was a senior in high school when this movie came out. I was working at Sony Theaters in Streamwood. Um, and they were jam packing us with hours. Like we need you to work. Like this is going to be the biggest movie probably ever in movie history. Um, I mean, it was big, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't like the biggest movie in movie history. I love this movie. I love, first of all, the, the teaser poster where you see Anakin as a kid and his shadow is Darth Vader. Like that is a fantastic teaser poster. The actual movie poster takes like homages from all the original movies with Darth Maul in the background. Um, the music duel of the fates when, when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Darth Maul are fighting. I loved this movie. This movie to me was what I wanted when I saw a prequel. Yeah. Jake Lloyd, he sucked. Yeah. Jar Jar Binks. The lightsaber fight was badass. The music was good. Um, and I like the fucking pod racing. I don't care what anybody says. Um, the CGI was, you know, late nineties CGI. So it is what it is, but the, this is my trilogy. This is the trilogy that like I was a teenager. I was 
like watching this with my friends and I remember going to see it with my friends and that's why I love these movies. I, I wouldn't apologize for the CGI. The CGI is tremendous for, for that time period. Jar Jar Binks is a, like the, the effects of Jar Jar Binks are insane for, for that time period. Now Jar Jar Binks is a terrible character and this is a really stupid movie um, because they, they tried to make a movie for children and a movie that can span international audiences. So they didn't spend a lot of time on the dialogue, but then they decided to make it about trade routes and politics, which would translate to like literally no child. So like, like I think that that's to me, that's always been the problem for, for this. And also like, there's, there's a little bit of like weirdness to this story. Like you, why did you have to go through that whole pod race thing? This kid was a slave. Like you could have made this movie about how there shouldn't be slavery in the galaxy. And that would have been something that resonated. And then you just rescue him. Well, I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like, it just seems like the, a lot of the stuff is like weird. Like, why did you have to do any of this? You're not, like, it didn't like make a lot of sense to me. You're not wrong. Like you're definitely not wrong. Some of the stuff is weird and bizarre. Um, Watto was, you know, it, that was basically a very racist version of a pawn shop owner. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I will say. I don't know. I will say. So, I, so as much as I, I bag on it, because it's I, I like, look, I was like 19 years old when this came out. I went to the theater and I was like, well, this is not made for me. Like, that's kind of just kind of how I felt when I went to see it. Um, but, you know, rewatching it and going back on it. And I think that there there are things to take away from from this movie that are important to like the entire series and like the things like, you know, I think this introduces the rule of two, uh, at least in, in terms of the uh, movies, right. That you didn't like in the books and stuff that that's all legends now. So like, this is really where we get the introduction of the rule of two on the Sith side and the kind of the balance of, of those things across all of this is very interesting, right? Because like, You've got Naboo, where it's you've got the humans that live there, and then the Gungans that live underwater. And as much as they are different, they require each other to to for that planet to function, right? And then you've got Anakin, who is with his mother, and you rip that mother away from him. And I love Filoni's explanation of Duel of the Fates, where they talk about you know this was really the fight for Anakin to have a father, uh, like he and when. Qui-Gon uh, gets killed and now Obi-Wan uh, comes into his life. He's now lost his mother figure. He's lost his father figure. And like, well, of course, this is going to go terribly wrong when you raise this guy. And so and, and, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of those kind of, you know, two sides to the coin pieces in this movie uh, that are important as, as far, further and further into the into the prequel trilogy. And I really like that. And it's I mean, because it's all about the you know the balance of light and dark which is the whole idea of this whole series right like the whole nine movies the balance of light and dark is like everything it's about and this movie does that a lot in a lot of different little ways and i i, I like that about this movie i just like it's a chore for me to watch this movie <laughs> it's funny you say that Teresi, because doing the research for this uh, jake lloyd actually came out and said that there was actually a six-hour cut of this movie 
that people watched and said was phenomenal. And they watered it down to what we got. I think it was like two hours of this movie. So they cut out a lot of bits and pieces. In terms of dialogue, let's be real here. George Lucas is not known for his dialogue in any of his movies. No, no, he's, he's not. And like, I mean, like, and I get it. Like this, this movie, they, they, they filmed it with, you know, the idea, like, it's almost like, um, I'm blanking on the Fury Road, the Max, mm-hmm. uh, Mad Max movie. It's almost like that where like you could watch this movie without any dialogue because the dialogue is like about traitors <laughs> and shit. Like you could watch it without dialogue and it makes sense. Like, so, I mean, like they, they built it for that. And so I get that. And like, you're trying to appeal to audiences all around the world. And that's how this thing made a billion dollars. Right. But for me, like it's that, that makes it a little rough. I definitely couldn't do six hours of this. I, I watched a, I don't know if you've ever watched any of those cuts they do on the internet where they like jam together all three prequels. Like every one of those, it starts and they're like, and here's Darth Maul. And that's like, <laughs> just get yeah. the whole first movie. Dar- uh, Ray Park's uh, portrayal of Dark Maul is like awesome. Uh, you know, he should get so, you know, all the roses thrown at him. Severely underutilized. Like he could have been a badass for the prequel trilogy. And yeah, we only got to see half of him. Literally. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, was crazy was they brought out the double lightsaber and with all, you know, the live films, that's the only time it's used, which is in this movie. Uh, I did find it kind of weird. Some of the things that the Jedi's did uh, for one, when they had super speed, I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> that, uh, is, that never comes back. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that was one part. I know it pissed off a lot of people when he asked him what the force is. And he basically says it's a bunch of like bacteria that work oh, together as one. was a thing. Like it was a yeah. whole thing when this movie came out. Um, but some interesting stuff I found was when George Lucas is actually looking to, you know, set up a choreographer for this movie. He actually wanted Samo Hung, who's like a really big martial artist, uh, actor from Japan, um, China. He wanted him to be the lightsaber choreographer and they just couldn't work it out. And he actually asked him for the next three movies to try to do it. And they just couldn't schedule their scheduling right. Uh, for Mace Windu, Tupac Shakur was actually lobbying for a role in Star Wars to the point where he was actually having friends reach out to George Lucas. Unfortunately, he died in 96. Uh, Jordan Miller was cause of that. But he, uh, you know, they're saying that the look of the way Mace Window looks is actually kind of a tribute to him. That's the rumor going around. I don't know how true that is, but it would be interesting if it was. Well, and this movie does have Samuel L. Jackson in it, which is awesome. Well, I love that. Like, it, it does expand on the mythology. Like, Mace Windu had the first lightsaber that wasn't blue, green, or red. You know, he had the purple lightsaber, and it expands on the mythology. Um, I get it, and I get the hatred for it, but, like, it was the first Star Wars movie in what? When did when did Jedi come out? 80, 83. 83, and this came out in 99. Like, we were waiting for this. Yeah. yeah. So, they did a real fucking good job of marketing this movie, man. Like some of the giveaways and some of the like merchandise for this stuff was insane. Um, we're not going to talk about the tongue lollipop, Jar Jar's tongue. We're not going to talk about it. You got to talk about it. That's why you mentioned it. <laughs> uh, but I remember like, hey, man, I got to go to Taco Bell. Well, I go to Taco Bell just because. But like they had the cup toppers and they had Darth Maul with the double sided lightsaber. Um, it was everywhere in 99 when this came out and you know i was a 19 year old kid that loved nerdy things and this was the nerdiest thing that came out that year so so vote one of the one of the craziest things about that 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 just like blows my mind is so obviously there was a ton of toys ton of toys come out right and as as you probably remember when you were a kid everything was kenner right it was all these kenner dolls are you familiar with what happened there 
like how how that deal went. So like, I'll just quickly explain it because it's so ridiculous. So they had this deal with Kenner from like the very beginning and Kenner was getting like a ton of the percentage because no one wanted these toys when they first made the deal. And Kenner had that contract in perpetuity. All they had to do was if they didn't make as much as as $10,000 in a year, they still needed to cut a check to uh, George Lucas every year. And so at one point they were just like, we're cutting a check to this dude. They're never going to make another movie. It's pointless to keep giving this guy this money. So they stopped cutting the check. So when they were getting ready to put out Phantom Menace, George Lucas was like, hey, guys, by the way, remember when you stopped paying me? I could make toy deals with whoever I want. And now he's like a billionaire because. Totally, totally. And uh, Mr. Hand also brings up another great point about the water boy. So I mentioned this previously in our Sandler episode, and I think I mentioned to other episodes. So when this movie first came out, you did a great job at marketing where you couldn't, I mean, there was a time where you can go on the internet and look at trailers. They had a trailer for this movie in the water boy, which Star Wars fans would go pay money to go see the water boy, watch the trailer for Phantom Menace and walk out. So there's a ongoing junk that Adam Sandler made money for the water boy because Star Wars fans just want to see trailers, which I think is hilarious. It's true. I remember I remember going to see the water boy and, and I genuinely enjoyed the water boy, but I, I definitely went to see just to see the 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 preview and vote to your point, man. The pod race, though, I will say that that was really cool. I remember seeing that in the theater and I was like, this is awesome. This is like 10 minutes too long, but like, this is awesome. Yeah, like it was it was super cool to to see on the big screen like that. And yeah, I, I just I don't know. I'm a I'm a prequels apologist and i don't apologize for my love of them i think uh after re-watching this movie it's not as bad as people say it is i think uh it's kind of crazy that jake lloyd got so much hate for it that he actually retired from acting because of it yeah i don't um, understand yelling at a kid i mean the kid's fine in the movie it's not like he's like, he was uh, way yeah, more um, annoying in jingle all the way than he was in episode i love that movie like <laughs> you're not talking no, about I jingle, love all, the jingle way, all the way i'm not talking about the like I, the movie itself is is super fun but like he was way more annoying with the Turbo Man stuff than he was as Anakin. Yeah, um, <laughs> that guy threw me off. But just like some other little small little tidbits. Uh, so Ian McDermott, who played Senator Palpatine, actually is, you know, the original Emperor. And at the time, people may not know this, but when he played the Emperor in the 70s and in the 80s, he was very young. They, the makeup made him age. So people are like, oh, he's, you know, he looks really good. Well, yeah, he's playing his normal age now he's fucking <laughs> during this movie and he didn't know if he was gonna um if he was going to be allowed back on he george lucas actually came to it and he to him and told him you know we have this role and he automatically signed on right away not knowing that george lucas wanted him back for the prequels which i think is pretty cool uh another thing too so ian mcgregor is a huge fan of star wars and when there's a scene actually when he's holding his lightsaber and there's like a lot of commotion going on he actually mumbles to himself, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, his, his uncle's in the original Star Wars. <laughs> Who's his uncle's fault? Really? Yeah, uh, Ewan McGregor's uncle is one of the pilots, one of the X-Wing pilots, when they go to destroy the Death Star. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. I did not know that. Uh, cool. you know, your, your little talk about uh, Ian McDiarmid there coming back. Um, I was at, at at a Star Wars celebration. I was I was there to get my uh, my picture with Billy D. Williams that's back there, uh, and 
I, w- I got to see him on a panel, Ian McDiarmid, and he was talking about coming back for episode one. And they kept it a secret from everybody who was playing Sidious. Mm-hmm. So like he and he was like when he got his first thing, he had like the uh, the Palpatine uh, senator. You know, that was him. And then there was this Darth Sidious character. And like they kept him kind of secret from everybody of who it was uh, until. And like he said, some people didn't know until the movie came out that he had played uh, both roles. People that were in the movie had no idea, which <laughs> I thought was a, a really cool bit. I mean, like, I don't know why they had to keep it secret, but it's I, I love that they did it. It's crazy, too, because, uh, you know, we talked about in the previous movie how David Prose was actually the body of Darth Vader. And James Earl Jones was the voice. Well, going, you know, and reading back from the previous trilogy, Lucas actually wanted him to be the physical body of the emperor and then have somebody do the voice. Well, that person did the voice and then he did his. And they, Spielberg and Lucas loved his voice so much. They're like, okay, you can do everything, which is kind of funny that uh, they try to do the same thing with the emperor. And it turns out the guy they actually hired for the role was very good for it. So they let him do the whole thing. Um, it's just, you know, it's crazy. But yeah, he, uh, him coming back, I think is a big, you know, gives this whole seri- uh, franchise for these three a nice little boost because he's such a great actor. He is awesome. He's awesome. Pete, uh, Pete commented, don't forget the, the use of revenge in title of Jedi and Sith. There's a Revenge of the Jedi poster in Schaumburg. Um, Pete, I actually grand opened that theater that we we had the Top Gun movie event at, and I've tried to steal that poster many times when I worked at that movie theater. Uh, it was just always too big to fit in my friend's cars. I'll remember that <laughs> next time I wear my jean jacket around you with the Revenge of the Sith or Revenge of the Jedi patch, so that you don't try and rip it off of my chest. No, I would never. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's get into our next one, guys. Do you think it will really come to war? The dark side clouds everything. Impossible to see. The future is. Star Wars Episode 2, Attack for the Clones, released in 2002, written and directed by George Lucas, but he also had help on the screenplay by uh, Jonathan Hales, who actually wrote a lot of the episodes of Young Indiana Jones. Uh, This movie stars Ian McGregor, Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen, Samuel L. Jackson, E. McDermott, and Christopher Lee. I had a box office of $658 million and a budget of $115 million. Cherizi, tell me about Attack of the Clones. This is a movie that I'm really torn on because I really like some of it, right? I like, I, I, I love the end. I think that the, the, the end is, is, is really good. I like the, the scene in the big arena with all the termites and then these big, big crab animal that, uh, that Obi-Wan gets to fight. And like, I love, I love all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's very good. The clone piece with the, like with, uh, with Obi-Wan is a little weird, but it's worth it for the fight with him and Django, right? Like that, that's a, that's a great fight. But then all of the, like Anakin and Padme falling in love is just creeps the hell out of me. I'm sorry. Like, it's just weird. And the, and here's the craziest fan theory that I'm going to give you guys all night, but it's one that it's the only way I can make sense of this whole thing is that Padme is not in love 
with Anakin. Anakin's using the force to, to do this. And like, it makes you hate Anakin a lot more, which is great. Um, but it's also like, this is so weird. Like, the, like, the, and, and I don't blame Hayden Christensen for this. He was supposed to be awkward. Like he, it's supposed to be because he's like a, he's basically, uh, a, a celibate, uh, Jedi. Right. I mean, like there, there's not, they're not supposed to have any attachments and he's finding himself falling in love with this lady, this lady. And he's just totally weird about it. Um, the fact that she is into it is, is scary. But the the that's the part of the the movie that's just like it's it's fairly poorly written. Uh, it's there's a lot of and I, I don't mean to keep bagging on the dialogue, but the dialogue is really bad in these in these situations. And like so and it's it's just that like that kind of thing takes away so much from the good things in this movie. Like I think I think Dooku's great. Like I think that the, the, that's such like. I think his character was kind of an afterthought, but he's so good in it. And like one of the things that they could have done better throughout this whole uh, prequel trilogy is to really focus on the idea of like, who are the good and bad people in this scenario, right? Like how right are the Jedi, right? Because then it would make the conflict a little bit better in, in Anakin's head to be like, are we truly right? And Dooku represents that really well. And that conversation that he has with Obi-Wan when he's got him captured, like really is a point where you're like, would, you know, what, how could this go? Like, could, could he actually free Obi-Wan and then them go and kill the emperor that like, obviously that's not going to happen because we know what happens later. But like, you have that moment of like, Oh wait, is he, is he being serious here? Is he being truthful to him? And I think that, that makes that character fantastic. And I, I, I just want more and more Dooku. I think it's been a great character and the stuff they've done after has been great. And uh, I love that. The other stuff takes away from it. And I, I feel bad that that it makes it uh, low on my rankings of movies for, for star Wars. Yeah, totally agree with you. Uh, Count Dooku. I'm so glad you touched on that. Christopher Lee is a badass, and. Like, if you looked at George Lucas's, like, love for movies, you can totally see he was in love with the Hammer films because Peter Cushing's in the original Star Wars. And then you bring back, you know, Christopher Lee, who played Dracula, Cushing played Van Helsing, and Frankenstein. Like, just to have those two actors in the series is great. I think he's totally underused, especially in the next movie. Um, but him having it is kind of what saved it a little bit for me. This movie is my by far my least favorite of the series. I think there's just too much going on. And I think they focus on the wrong things. The love story, I think, is really weird, like you said. Um, I do kind of see the theory of him controlling her with the force. I thought you were going to bring up the theory of Jar Jar. Being the, the Darth Jar Jar? <laughs> yeah. I, I love that one. I was going to leave that one out. There's another theory from this one that uh, Dooku actually, uh, and I don't know if this is a theory or if this was eventually made canon, but Dooku paid uh, the, the Tuscans to kidnap Anakin's. Uh, Mom, mom, to get him to the dark side. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just too, it's just too much going on. I do uh, find it like when Anakin goes and kills the Tuscans. You know, there's actually uh, the cool part about it was they have there was a, the voices that are trying to talk to him. It's actually uh, Liam Nielsen's voice of mm. Wygon to show that he was just ignoring the Force Ghost. You know, of the good, 
which I thought was pretty cool. It, it's just too much going on in this movie. I think it's a lot of uh, they're trying to do recapture Empire because they start off in a frozen area, then they go to like a cloud city. So it's kind of like similar. And I think they were trying to recreate that. And my saving grace this movie, again, is Christopher Lee and Samuel L. Jackson, especially since he, uh, reading a little bit more about it, he had Bad Motherfucker written on his um, lightsaber. Oh my God, I love as it. As a tribute to Pulp Amazing. Fiction. Amazing. Uh, what do you think about this, Well, So I think the, the reason that this movie gets hatred, and it, most of it is pretty well deserved, is that we always knew that this movie was just a bridge from episode one and the introduction of Anakin to episode three, where we get to see the transformation into Darth Vader, right? So it was always a bridge, and it was always a long bridge, right? And everything that you guys have already said about Count Dooku is already is absolutely accurate. His curved lightsaber is fucking badass, um, but it's it's a slow bridge, and it's it, it's not good. the The meadow is so fucking lame. The only redeeming quality in Pete we'll get a kick out of this is you can see Natalie Portman's nipples in that white outfit, right? Like that's the only, the only redeeming, the only redeeming thing. Um, when he goes and he sees the clones being made and Obi-Wan and, and um, uh, they have the fight on the, the Island. It, it's cool, but it is what it is. I, I don't love it. I don't hate it. I was just waiting for episode three, like everybody else. <laughs> So I'll tell you. So here's an interesting thing. So I was kind of after this movie, I was kind of out on Star Wars. So we'll get to the, the next movie in a bit, but like I'll explain that a little bit more. But yeah, after this movie, I, I saw this in the theater and I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm with uh, beef right now. I zoned out, too. I was I went I went back and started watching the whole Ernest uh the Ernest franchise instead of Star Wars for a while. And that's how I felt after like Rise of the or like the Skywalker, the last movie. Like I told you this in our like DM. I was like, dude, I stopped watching. I didn't watch The Mandalorian for forever because Skywalker was just trash to me. We'll get to it, but Yeah, I mean, this is definitely to me, this is my weakest, but I mean, we're gonna get to the other ones to see what you guys think. So let's move on to our next film. Chosen one. It was said that you would destroy this and not join them. Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, uh, released in 2005, written and directed by George Lucas, starring Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen, Ian McDermott, Christopher Lee, and Jimmy Smith. Uh, this movie had a box office of $868 million and a budget of $113. Uh, to me, this is the best one of the prequels. I think it's excellently done. It pay, basically pays off what we've all been waiting for is to see Vader's turn. Uh, well, actually, Anakin's turn to Vader. And I think it's nicely done. I love the transformation scene at the end. Again, tribute to the old Frankenstein films as he comes out and breaks out because that's actually an old um, universal when he breaks out the chains and whatnot to become Frankenstein. When Frankenstein lives, basically when he becomes Darth Vader, it's a nice little tribute there. I don't like that Christopher Lee's character is killed off relatively early. (laughs) Um, And he only says like five lines of dialogue, but that, you know, one thing that we kind of touched on is all the lightsaber scenes in the prequels is, you know, it, it outshines the originals. I think it's 
greatly done better. But then again, you know, it's better technology and more of a better of a story of how you want the choreography to go. But this is my favorite of these three. And like I said, it pays off bringing Vader back, you know, to the, the masses. What about you, Sol? So I, I agree with you. Like the opening scene in space and um, obviously the, the lava scene and you, you can't win Anakin. I have the higher ground. The dialogue's trash, right? We've already just, we've already like planted the seed that George Lucas's dialogue is trash, but the, the fight scene was fantastic. I, I loved, I loved it. Um, the payoff was, was great. The only really cheesy moment to me is Vader's no when he finds I love out. It. I mean, I love it too. Like that's why we love these movies. Um, but in hindsight, it was, you know, it, it is what it is, but, but I love, I loved it. I think this was like one of the strong, this was probably the strongest in the prequels. Um, I, I, yeah, I can't really say much more. So I'll, let me finish my, my thought from the last movie. So I, I, Watched the last movie. I think the last uh, episode two was 2002, if I remember correctly. Uh, and this is 2005. So after 2002, the, after uh, episode two, I kind of zoned out on Star Wars. I was like, ah, I'm not really that. I, I haven't really enjoyed these, whatever. Uh, and then that's when I started working in the music industry and working like a thousand hours a week. And I was actually out on tour when episode three came out. I came back uh, and this is, 2005 right so the socks were going full bore so i i didn't see this movie until i think sometime in 2006 um and my my roommate at the time was watching it and i was like caught in the middle and i was like oh what's this and he's like dude if you haven't seen this like just go go to the bar and uh, <laughs> and come back later and then and watch it and i remember so i, I sat down and watched this movie and that end scene with the huge fight in in the lava and all of that like just rekindled star wars for me and then that's that's kind of like at that point you know i started uh you know really go i went back and watched kind of all of them and then i'm like reading the books and things like that but this is kind of the movie that that kind of kick-started that back for me and you know you you mentioned the the high ground uh thing and like I, for a long time, I thought that was kind of cheesy too. Uh, a theory that I've I've heard on that that I absolutely love is that Obi Wan being the smarter of the two, and the the calmer, the more in the moment of the two, knowing that he had told Anakin probably a hundred times the Darth Maul story. Who wouldn't tell that story? Knew that he he couldn't continue to fight Anakin the way that that this fight was going and he knew just like he taunted grievous earlier in the movie he needed to taunt him to get him to do something dumb so that he could end the fight and that's where the whole high ground thing comes like telling him that he's lost telling him that he can't do something is only going to go him into trying to do it and i don't know if that's really what they intended but in my head canon that's how it went because i love that idea i have never ever thought of that fight scene that way until you have just said that. And I think that's brilliant. Like it's absolutely brilliant. Like he knew that he had to make him anger angry. Right. And what, what has been the under underlying theme of this whole thing? Like anger is the path to the dark side. 
And I absolutely love that theory now. And I'm going to go back and watch this this week with that in mind. It also it also fixes the hello there moment of like, why would he jump in there and do hello there to to General Grievous? There's all these troops around. And it's like he knew if he did that, he could draw him in because he like all of these. It's the lack of balance of all of the the dark side uh, people in this movie. And so he can goad them into this because he's he's calm. He's in the moment. He knows what's going on and he knows that he's drawing them into to his trap. Um, and I just I, I honestly have no idea if they meant to do that, but it, I love it if, if it's I, I just want to believe it. No, that's an excellent theory. And like, I can totally see that. Um, so I'm a, like I, I'm a total nerd. And I don't know if you ever watched uh, the YouTube we channel, <laughs> the, uh, the Star Wars theory, uh, Terezi, but he actually goes in to say, you know, he has an episode on was Obi-Wan a great fighter like the other two, uh, Luke and Anakin. And he basically boils down to, no, he wasn't good in hand-to-hand combat or force abilities. But when it came to being a, you know, in terms of strategy, that's where he excelled on both of them. In that terms, and he said Luke, Luke is very comparable in some ways, but Obi-Wan was always step, thinking a step ahead, which is why he does the things he does. Uh, I, the hello there like totally makes a lot more sense now that you say it in that. Because I, when I saw it at first, I'm like, why the fuck are you going to say hello there? Like, <laughs> like, but um, the high ground, like I love the, you know, and this is just me being a cinema nerd in general. Like I love the fact that they talk about the high ground in this movie that eventually leads to Darth um, Anakin's fall. And if you go in and we watch the previous, you know, I think it's Return of the Jedi when Luke is actually standing above Vader. He says, Obi-Wan has taught you well. And that's actually a call back to the having the high ground, which mm. I thought is kind of cool. I just um, got, a, I got, I got a little bit of goosebumps right there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's like stuff like that, like really gets me excited too. I did find it interesting that for Jennifer Grievous to actually want Gary Oldman to do the voice for him. But since George Lucas kind of shit on the Screen Actors Guild and with Empire Strikes Back, he stopped using actors from that guild. He couldn't do it because he was a member of it. Mm. Um, but I love this movie. Like, I think this is like the best out of the three. Like I said, and I think that uh, Lucas put everything very well in it. I would like, again, we'll like the more Dooku, but I do like the fact that it has like the aspects and it pays off. Like that's the main thing that you want to pay off. And I think he did it very nicely at the end. Uh, but Treaty, I think we talked about like you mentioning that you watched a like fan edit of how they ended like the Sith uh, with the just dark breeding. So yeah, so they 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 changed uh, like so the fan edits are always interesting, right? They they jam the three prequels together, and yeah, the the way that it ends is not him busting out and doing the no. It's when the the helmet comes on and you hear his first couple breaths there. And and then it just like cuts. And like it's actually pretty effective. Um I don't know if it if it would have uh if it would have been better necessarily, but you know, in 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 rewatch and watching those types of fan edits, there's always fun stuff like that. I think that's one of the best things that I've I've seen in them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I mean that's a different alternative ending, which I thought would have been kinda of cool. And just a couple more facts. Uh, they were originally supposed to have Mace Windu killed by Boba Fett, but they decided that it would be Boba Fett was too young to do so. And that whole scene that have the Emperor and Mace Windu and Anakin fighting, 
was filmed in, I think, like two hours to the point where Ian McDermott was so like exhausted that when he starts laughing like, like crazy in that take, it's because he's basically totally, totally, totally done with this and just wants <laughs> to get it over with. And George Lucas loved that take and added it to the film. <laughs> so with him laughing, it's really him laughing, which I think is pretty funny. But uh, let's move on to our next one, guys. Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, uh, directed by J.J. Abrams. It stars Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Adam Driver, and Oscar Isaac. Uh, this movie had a budget of $300 million and made a whopping $2 billion at the box office. Cherizi, tell me about The Force Awakens. So I think it, for anybody who'd been waiting uh, a really long time to get some new Star Wars, this was, a, at least to me, was a welcome addition. I, I thought that the, they introduced some really interesting characters. I thought that Kylo Ren being like the emo Darth Vader was was good. Like I, I, I liked all of the the stuff that they brought to the table here. There's there's kind of endless possibilities of of what they what they put in here, and I think that might have uh, hurt them in the long run uh, because I think people built up certain characters in their head that made it more difficult to to see what would happen next. Um, but I think overall, I just, I enjoyed seeing someone brand new, uh, you know, a brand new force user, uh, a lot of, a lot of good dark side stuff. Uh, you know, the, the building up of the first order is very interesting of like, yeah, this could totally happen if you're not paying attention. Right. And I think that they, they did a good job of, of, of showing how, that, how that would, would go down. Um, I just generally like this movie I, I think it's a it's a good movie it's not it's definitely not my favorite in in the series but i think it's it's a really it's if you were going to rekindle this i think this was a, a fine start to what they were building yeah i totally agree uh i do like the fresh perspective of that we got something new and we're intricating a lot of the older characters to kind of build off that which i thought was pretty cool uh of course we know that uh Han Solo dies in this movie, so Harrison Ford finally got his wish. Uh, and he got paid 25 mil for this job, which is... They still wouldn't let him go, though. Yeah, still wouldn't let him go. But I do love that, you know, you brought back the old characters and you're expanding upon the universe. Uh, there are some questions I had about the movie. Like, um, I always thought that the lightsaber was a thing of skill and then all of a sudden Finn picks it up and starts using it. So uh, stuff like that. But I do love the villain in Kylo Ren. I love the the uh, backstory of it. And I love how he's presented and portrayed in this movie well, specifically. I will say, you know, Finn uses the lightsaber against some, some stormtroopers and stuff. And then when he fights Kylo, Kylo goes to the, the Darth Vader. I don't give a shit one-handed technique and just bats them all over the place. I mean, like it's, it went how it should have, should have went. I think the uh, Daisy Ridley picking up the lightsaber from there um in it flying past his hand and her being proficient with it is on one hand it's like come on how does this happening but on the other hand it is to say and this is from the next movie but it, the light rising to to meet the the dark as they become more and more powerful 
that's that's this happening in this in this moment. And so I I, I like that, and I like uh, I like a lot of the little little aspects of of uh, Ray just kind of coming into her own as a Jedi and figuring this out as she goes. I think the one thing that I would have liked to seen more of throughout the series that they introduce here is her psychometry. So like when she touches the lightsaber, she sees not only the past things that have happened to it, but the future things. And like, I wish that could have been expounded on a little bit more. I thought that was one of the things that was like, Oh, this is cool. Like you don't <laughs> like, this is not something that I, I'm, I'm too familiar with here from, from Jedi. So this is, this is a cool feature. And like, uh, I would have liked to seen it a little bit more. What about you? So, so I think out of the the three new movies, I, I I like the Force Awakens. It's essentially Episode Four, like the plot line is is basically Episode Four, but it's the reintroduction of you know all your favorites with you know Mark Hamill at the very very end. Um, I liked Ray. I liked Finn. I, Kylo Ren was cool. I think this was a great introduction for what could have been. Um, I think it's all downhill from there after that, though. <laughs> uh, I disagree. Um, so a little backstory about this trilogy coming out. George Lucas actually wrote about another trilogy back after the prequels were done. He claims he didn't, but he did. It's been proven that he has. And he then went on to sell the company to Disney. So he claims that he wasn't against them doing their own thing. But now he's come out and said, yeah, he is. Uh, which I think is hilarious. But he did have basically an outline of some of the story that he gave to the writers that he thought maybe could help with the way they want to design everything. And the writers are like, nah, fuck you. We're doing our own thing. Which they did. His checkbook wasn't so, against them doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of Ray, I found it really interesting that they actually had wanted Elizabeth Olsen to audition for the role. Oh, interesting. But her doing Scarlet Witch for the Marvel um, campaign, basically the shooting dates would coincide and they would overlap. So she didn't think she could do it. So she denied the audition. And another Marvel person that actually auditioned for uh, Finn was Tom Holland. Mm. And he didn't get the role. And he says the reason was probably because when they were reading, the other person was doing... um, the robot sounds up beep pop beep pop and he couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he said it probably killed his audition, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, another Luke Skywalker is supposed to have a bigger role in this movie, but they cut doing it down because they wanted more to focus on the new characters. I think that was actually done very well. Uh, Mark Hamill has, I think, less than a minute worth of screen time and he got paid a million dollars for it. <laughs> Good money <laughs> if you could get it, man. Definitely. Uh, and when they were actually talking about doing a new Star Wars movie, he had lunch with George Lucas who mentioned, hey, Disney's doing this new thing. They're asking me if the old people would like to come back. Hamill said he played it cool, but in his mind, he's like, fuck yes, I want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> and when they told Carrie Fisher, they said within the first two minutes of like finishing this, I just like, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> like, so I thought that's kind of cool. I just love the fact they brought back all the old characters, it, you know, it, and I do like the way they started. And I think out of the three, this is probably the best one. But um, yeah, let's just move on to the next one and see. The resistance is dead. The war is over. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Amazing. Every word of what you just said 
was wrong. The rebellion is reborn today. The war is just beginning. And I will not be the last Jedi. Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, released in 2015, written and directed by Rian Johnson, who did the Night Out series, along with Brick and Brothers Bloom, starring Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Oscar Isaac, and Adam Driver. Uh, this movie had a budget of 317 million and made a box office of 1.3 billion. Charisi, tell me about The Last Jedi. I love this movie. I, I think a lot of people. It's it's very. It's very polarizing in the, the Star Wars world, but I love this movie. And a lot, a lot of this is about perceptions, right? And every, every kind of step of the way, people have perceptions of the other people in this movie, and they may be false, right? They may over, overthink like what kind of person this is or like how powerful they are or, or all these different things. And so it's a lot of getting past those things, right? Like even Luke is, is, is probably the most conflicted here because he hates that he's like this legend, right? But he's important. His, his legend though is more important. That's what gives people hope, right? Like if you told the actual story of how he defeated the emperor, right? Like, well, actually he was about to die and then his dad threw the emperor down a tunnel. Like it doesn't carry the weight. It doesn't give people the hope that they would need to kind of carry on and and finish out the rebellion at that point. And now in the the resistance, he he poses this. He's the same person, right? He needs to be that person for everybody, and he doesn't believe it, right? He he doesn't believe in himself. And then you have guys like Snoke, who are it's like the Don Finucci of Star Wars. Like everyone built up in their head that this is like the most powerful guy, especially because there was two years between the movies for everybody to make up all these theories about how this is the most powerful dark side user ever. And it turns out, you know what? Not so great that Kylo could just cut him in half. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that there's something to to say about like a lot of this is just false pretense and, and cutting through the false pretense of these different characters. And. I love that about this movie. There's a lot of that in this movie, right? Finn's a hero of the rebellion, but he's also going to try and sneak out in the sneak out through the back door, right? He's he's not a hero, right? And then and then there's also the idea of like are you sacrificing yourself for something that's that's noble or are you sacrificing yourself for your own good, right? Like Kylo Ren, like Kylo Ren and Rey in the same moment want to kill Snoke for very very different reasons. And you start to see things like that. Finn is about to blow himself up, which seems to be like, oh, that would save everybody. But it's a very selfish act. And the selfless act is actually Rose getting him out of there. And like that's the light and dark of this whole series, right? Even Yoda smacking uh, Mark Hamill in the head and saying, I'll burn down all these books. I don't care. Like, that's not the important thing. You're being selfish hiding here on this, this island. You're not helping anybody. And so there's a lot of that in this movie. And I think that that's a great bridge to the, to what could be the finale. Now we could talk about the execution of that in a little bit, but like, I think that this to me is if you were going to give someone a middle and say, here, get us to the, get us to what can be the end of this movie. I love it. And 
one last thing, because you, know, you mentioned the Marvel movies. I think there's a little bit of context that we need to have in this when we're talking about this, because if you guys remember that time frame, that's like Ultron had come out and then you had had Civil War and people were like, there's too many characters. Why are there so many characters? Last Jedi takes care of that for you. They're like, oh, there's too many different. Who, who am I supposed to be rooting for? Nope. Here's the two. Here's the two important ones. We've we've narrowed it down for you. Right. And so I think that the movie hits on all of those things. And I love it. I love the movie. I rewatched it because I was like, do I really like this movie as much as I'm going to go and argue that I do? Yes, I do. So, so I, I shouldn't have said it's all down here, downhill from here after the Force Awakens. I liked the Last Jedi. I liked the casino scene. I like Rose. I think Rose is probably one of my favorite characters. Like, like just a good person. Um, I don't love the way that Star Wars fans treated the cast of this movie after it came out. Like some of the things that were said to Rose, or what, sorry, what's the actress's name? That played yeah. Rose. Oh, I I don't recall. But uh, I don't like the head. way that they. Rose Tico. Yeah, I don't like the way that like some of these people were treated because of this movie. But you're right. Like the the Snoke scene, the the fight scene in the uh, what the throne room. Um, yeah, was 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 cool. Like I know we have Fids in here saying it was one of the most. Yeah, pull, pull up that comment because I hate this comment. I hate this comment so much. <laughs> So the fight scene was one of the worst choreographed in film history. People do this all the time and they like frame by frame the thing and go like, look at this. If you slow this down and you look at this, how could she have possibly kicked this guy forward? Who cares? You don't watch it at that speed. Everyone remembers he catches the lightsaber and goes right through the guy's face. That's what people remember. So like, I don't like this at all. The choreography, it looks cool in real time. I watched it the other day. Shit looked cool. Still. (laughs) I, I, I agree that I, I like this movie. I love the way that the movie ends with the, the kids in the stable, like looking out, like gazing up and telling the tales of Luke Skywalker. Um, I, I, I think maybe my hatred is just the f- finale of this series. It doesn't close well. <laughs> <laughs> so to go with, you know, Fitz's comment of being the worst fight scene, I don't think it is. Um, I mean, we all love the Godfather and just, in real time, you can see Tony Sonny fucking totally misses the guy in the face when he punches him in the face. Speaking so I mean of that right Brian, there. Brian right <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, but so all I, you remember from that scene is him biting his hand, right? I mean, like yeah. that's what you take away from that scene. Like, and then you know, Carlo gets a little bit worse after <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But I, you know, Fitz hates this movie, but I think this movie gets a lot of, you know, backlash. It really shouldn't. I think it's just a different take on things. And from reading and doing research on this. Mark Hamill felt the same way. He, when he read the script for this, for Luke's character, he actually went up to Rian Johnson and told him, I don't agree with anything you've done with this character, but I'm letting you know how I feel. And with that, I'm going to try to put out the best presentation of your vision for this character, which I think is awesome that he did that as an actor and as a person in general. Like, There's just certain things in this movie that kind of don't make sense to me in terms of where they're going with it. The, the Benicio del Toro like character, like, is he coming back? Is he, you know, that's something that wasn't even explained in the next movie. I don't know if they intended him coming back and having a different role. I, I think a, the, the thing that I liked what he was supposed to represent yeah, and what he was, mm-hmm. what he was supposed to show was, you know, like I think in, in movies like, 
in Rogue One and things like that, where you have people like you understand that the uh, you know the Empire can exist because people just don't look up, right? They don't, they mm-hmm. don't, they just go on about their daily lives and things like that. This is a different representation of like, you know, if, if it's profitable for people, they're willing to overlook how horrible things are. That's what the casino is supposed to represent. That's what Benicio is supposed to represent. He's he's not a good guy or a bad guy. He's just a guy out for himself, right? If you look at, you know, in Andor, the Aldani scene is uh, the Aldani heist, which I I hope you've gotten to it by now. So I'm not spoiling anything. But like each of the people in that heist are there for their own reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them are good, some of them are bad. And I think Benicio del Toro is a good example of like, yeah, he's he's going to help you until he's not because he's just trying to profit, which is how things like the First Order would exist. Yeah, I mean, I could see it that way. I just think that, but the way they portrayed him in the movie trees, yeah, they kind of made it seem like he was going to get his comeuppance. Like, oh later. yeah, oh no, that's I, why I get what you're saying. Yeah, he that's he's a like, little too featured for for that. Yeah, yeah, that's why I thought like, is he coming back in the next one? And when he wasn't in the next one, you know, it was kind of weird to me. Um, the killing off of Snoke, like I love the way you explain how you know they're showing like this theory of, you know, sometimes it's not as what we perceive, but after doing research, I just found out that Rian Johnson didn't like the character, so he had him killed off. <laughs> so, so, so it wasn't as deep as we thought it was gonna be, but that to me is hilarious, and I love that your explanation. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That I remembered. Oh yeah, he killed him off because he didn't like him, but. <laughs> But uh, an interesting fact was for the Benicio del Toro scene, they actually offered that scene, to, that uh, role, to um, Joaquin Phoenix, and he turned it down. Um, oh, wow. This, I, I love the fact that Luke comes out at the end and basically distracts them so they can get away. I love that turmoil that he goes the through. Force in the movie. projection, like I yeah, thought that was I, brilliant. I think uh, it gets a lot of hate that it shouldn't get, and like people are like, "Oh, well, he's not," you know. Just saying about the last Jedi, and this, I'm like, well, he says it in there. He's not going to be the last Jedi, and it just means that Jedi is a way of life, and people, the way people live, and that's what it means that going forward, there's going to be others like him. And not saying that he's going to be trained like a Jedi, it just means that the, their beliefs are going to go forward and carry on like they've been. And I think they kind of point towards that when Yoda had, doesn't give a shit about the ancient text getting destroyed because he says that things are meant to go away and come back and be reborn differently, basically, and. That's kind of what we're doing with Ray in this movie. I love that aspect of it. Um, this was supposed to be, you know, Luke's movie, and they did a. I think they did a good job of doing it between us showing his turmoil in it. Yeah, I mean, like, how, like him being positive in this movie would have been ridiculous. Like he invented Kylo Ren, right? I mean, like, like it's his. You know, he he's part of the reason that this purge is 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 happening, right? Like, I mean, so. I think he has to be kind of distraught and and off. Yeah, and I, I, you know, my buddy would kill me for not mentioning this. I thought the cow scene where he drinks the milk was fucking weird. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, but this movie gets a lot of hate that I don't think it's really warranted towards it. But let's finish it off, guys, with our last one. I miss you, son. So disturbing. Kylo Ren is dead. My son is alive. You're just a memory. Your memory. Come home. 
Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of the Skywalker, released in 2019, directed by J.J. Abrams, starring Daisy Riley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Adam Driver, Ian McDermott, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill, at a budget of 275 million and made a box office of a billion dollars. Swole, tell me why you dislike Rise of Skywalker. I mean, like it's it's not complicated why I dislike it. It's like they built up some of these characters so much in the first two movies, especially. The one that I'm referring to is Ray. I was so very excited to see what was going to happen with Ray and it, the finale or what she is or how her powers were explained was a massive letdown. It's kind of like, you know, the ending of a movie where you wake up and it was all a dream, right? <laughs> like this is what you had like 8 years, 9 years to come up with. Like come on, do better. Um yeah, the fight scenes, the special effects, everything was cool. I, I don't, you know, th- that stuff didn't bore me, but it was a massive letdown in terms of what it potentially could have been. I think that's my beef with it. And it turned me off to Star Wars for a while. Like I said, I didn't watch Mandalorian. Um, what got me back into to the Star Wars was the Obi-Wan series. Like, I watched that and I was like, holy shit, this is why I love Star Wars. This is why I'm into that. Um, but yeah, this is this this is this is this ain't it is what they say um, for me at least. How about you, Terezi? I've I've uh, I think I I saw this in the, I think I might have saw this in the theater twice. Kind of like going back and going like, let me. See, I must have missed something, right? Like I mean, like because there was there was so much that like is not explained or just like kind of like glazed over like really quickly, like the the poe dameron line of like the emperor's back somehow all right let's move on to the next thing and then like the diet of the force thing later in in the movie you're like have i heard of this like if has has someone mentioned this ever and so like there's a lot of things things in the movie where i was just like i watch a lot of this stuff and i pay close attention to a lot of this content i can't imagine someone going in who is not familiar and going like i understand what's going uh, so like it's it's a lot of that to me is like it almost feels like and I can't believe I'm asking for more of this, but it almost seems like this should have been like a two part movie, like so that they could have had more time to explain. Because if you read the book, like they clean up a lot of this stuff in like a couple sentences, right? Like <laughs> they just give some more explanation. And I feel like um, what's the guy from Lost that's in this? Uh, is it Dominic? Uh, I forget what his name is, but he's very much a bit part in this. And you saw like they announced him early, like, Oh, this guy's going to be in the movie. And you're like, Oh, then that should be pretty, pretty interesting. And like in the book, he knows like everything about the Sith. Like he could have been kind of useful to explain what the heck's going on. So I think there was like a lot of misses like that, where they could have done this. I mean, overall, I don't love the story. I thought when they, when I was at star Wars celebration and the emperor, or, or Ian McDermott popped out and was like, you know, uh, you hear his laugh at the end of the trailer and you're like, oh, shit, he's he's coming back. I thought it would be as kind of like a force ghost. Now, in on the Sith side, they typically haunt, uh, you know, an object or something. So I was hoping that like Vader, a part of Vader was still in the Vader helmet and the Death Star, like the emperor still 
in the Death Star and like this is how we're going to turn Ray to the dark side a bit and like that would be the turmoil of the movie. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have built something up like that in my head going into the movie, but like it definitely I, I would have preferred a, a story like that and where it could really focus on her and Kylo Ren and and their you know their ultimate battle instead of a battle against uh, the Emperor. I didn't I didn't love that. That said. I've I've watched this movie like four or five more times. It's it's it's, it's fine to me. I can watch it. And in theory, like in theory, they're all like okay to rewatch, right? Like even like Attack of the Clones and Episode One. Like, eh, like I'll sit down, I'll rewatch it. I mean, I'll play on my phone while I do it, but like I'll rewatch them and like whatever. Fuck it. This is no this is no different. Like it just could have been so much more than what it was. Yeah, I, I like I, I mean, like I wouldn't be here talking about these movies if I didn't genuinely enjoy them and watch them over and over. But I'm critical about them because this is like this is some, just like I'm critical about the White Sox. That there's something that's important to me, and when they let me down a little bit, like I want to, I want to talk it through. But at the same time, I'm showing up the next you, day. I'm, I'm watching this again. You criticize, <laughs> you criticize the ones you love the most, right? Like exactly. You know, my dad still calls me a fat ass to this day. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think this is like I said, I still think that attack of the clones is probably the worst movie in the, all the franchise. I just think that a lot of the issues in this movie was probably caused by Leia dying by Carrie Fisher's character dying, uh, you know, her in real life dying. Because, like I said previously, The Last Jedi was specifically for Luke and Mark Hamill. That was his time to shine. And from everything I was reading, J.J. Abrams really had it out for Carrie Fisher being her time to shine in this movie. And when she passed away, that kind of threw everything in a knot. And I think they were scrambling to get it out in time, which is what they should have done and just held off on it. Because you're going to wait. You know, for if it's a good product, you're going to wait for it. And Star Wars fans would have waited for something to get worked out. I think it was pushed a little bit. Um, Cherise, it's kind of funny you mentioned the Star Wars celebration. Uh, from what I read, I guess uh, Ian McDermott came out and said, roll it back and drop the mic. He, so, yeah. yeah, so he he comes out. like So you hear the laugh at the end, right? And I'm now, I wasn't, unfortunately, I wasn't in the main room. I was in a, a different room watching this. But like, he, they, they roll the trailer you hear his laugh at the end. And like, I think a lot of people were like, wait, was that the emperor? And so you're kind of like pondering it for a second. And then he walks out on stage and he does in the emperor's voice, roll it again. And then they like played the trailer again. And like, and uh, then he like kind of played it off the rest of celebration as he was asked about it, because he would just say that, you know, they, they asked him if he'd, he'd come back, uh, to do a little something. And he said, yeah, I'll come back and have a laugh. And like, so it wasn't even clear after celebration, if he was in it or if he just like, was like, they just put a laugh his laughter over it to say like, this is the culmination of the entire uh, saga. So it was like, you didn't really know. Yeah. And it's crazy because I was reading uh, an interview he did with digital spy and he said, um, quote, I thought I was dead. Uh, I thought I was dead because when they did Return of the Jedi, I was thrown down the chute to a galactic hell. <laughs> and I thought the Emperor was dead. And then they said, oh, uh, he can come back. And I said, no, he's dead. So I just accepted it. He goes, then they said that they want to do the prequels, which is something he didn't think he was going to be involved in. 
And when he started doing the prequels, then he kind of got in his mind, well, I guess they could bring me back if they wanted to. But he accepted they were, he was dead until they actually presented the movie to him. Um, that whole story to me was kind of weird. But looking back through research, I haven't read any of the books, but apparently a book called Darth Bane explains, like you were saying, hinting earlier, that they can transfer their essence into objects or people. From- yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. actually been a lot in the comics, too. Um, and in the... so. Uh, Yump, we actually talked about this because we were talking about uh, could they backtrack from from these mm-hmm. movies? And uh, I was like, no, I actually just read the most recent book and they they doubled down on all of this. Um, <laughs> but the, in, in that book, there is uh, there is a mask of a old Sith uh, uh, or dark side user that's possessed by him and is possessing the person who's wearing the mask. Um, and it's that is great stuff like you listen to that book or, or read it i don't listen I don't, I don't read anything anymore i just listen to books uh but i listen to it and it's awesome like it's a really cool version of of that uh of of like a, a sith kind of force ghost and i think that they could have done some of that a, a little bit more and uh fids yeah darth plagueis is is awesome and i am very hopeful that the acolyte is going to be about Darth Plagueis. Excuse me, if we're gonna, um, which would be really, if cool. we're gonna say it, we're gonna say it right. It's Darth Plagueis the Wise. That's if we're gonna true. if we're gonna give him his credit. That is that's a great scene in in Episode Three. By the way, we didn't really the, touch on the it, theater that, scene yeah, in Episode Three. That yeah. theater scene, yeah, absolutely. Is awesome. And uh, the fact that they were gonna do it in his office originally, and then they were like, "Let's do this weird opera thing." Perfect. Like that was a, one of the best decisions of of the. The prequels. Yes, that really was. Um, so now that we've gone through all the Star Wars, how would you rank your top? What, what would be your f- favorite and then your least favorite from each of you guys? You don't have to go one through nine. Just give me your favorite and your least favorite. Yeah. So, I mean, Empire is my favorite. That's that's the one that I, I go back. I probably watch Empire three or four times a year. Like I, like I watch it that much. Um, and then my least favorite is probably uh Phantom Menace just because there's so much other good Darth Maul content that I would watch first. Uh, and like so much of that movie it, to me is, is kind of uh throwaway uh, content. So like I'll, if I'm going to watch the prequels and not, and not watch episode three, I'll probably go find a fan edit on, on YouTube and just watch kind of the main pieces. Nice. What about you? Swell? So my favorite, it alternates between um, Empire and Phantom Menace. Fuck you both. Um, <laughs> uh, just for nostalgic purposes and, and what the movie means to me, I get it. We've we've already had this discussion. And my least favorite is is probably The Rise of Skywalker. Like if, if I have to pick my least favorite, um, it, it just it was like a hand job with no climax. Is is what it felt like. Rise of Skywalker. Um, how about you, Yumper? You, sh- you should read the book, though, to finish you off if you if you need it. <laughs> so uh, my favorite, as I said, is uh, Little Orthodox. I really like Return of the Jedi. It's my favorite movie. And then my least favorite is Attack of the Clones. I, um, there's just too much going on. I think it was, like I said, they were just trying to recreate Empire in that movie. And Christopher Lee just doesn't save it, save it enough, <laughs> even though he's awesome. Um, but yeah. In terms of Star Wars, like looking through just the whole franchise, for the 12 movies, they made over $10 billion that were released. 
And just with the nine that we just talked about was with $8.7 billion that was box office and worldwide, which is just ridiculous. So it's almost a billion dollars a movie for something that started like out of a pipe dream of somebody that wanted to have, you know, it's just ridiculous. And it's continuing. Like we talked uh, off air, they're having two new movies come out in 2025 and 2027. And we'll see where they go from there. I'm, I got to I mean, I'm so excited for Taika Waititi to get a movie. I hope it has nothing to do with any of this. And it's just like all aliens. Like, I just like want an all alien Taika Waititi movie. I think it'd be just wild. Yeah, I would love to see like a new fresh perspective kind of distancing away from the normal characters that we were introduced to. That would be kind of nice to have. Uh, before before I go, I want I, I, first I want to thank you guys for for having me on i know we're coming to the end here. you don't need to thank uh, us for having you on we I, need to thank you for I, being on i i appreciate that and i i i love talking star wars with anybody and like i think one of the coolest things about this whole thing was that my worst like my least favorite movie so was your favorite because i think that's what's cool about this whole star wars universe i mean like we when Bernie and i were at celebration i sat and went in a line to forgot what we were going to I think it was a, a rebels thing and there's this kid in front of me he's like 19 years old and he's telling me about how underrated jar jar binks is and like how great all these different things about jar jar binks it, it he goes on for like five minutes and i'm just like i don't know what the hell this kid's talking about but it's it's amazing to have something like this where like so many people are so invested and love this so much and love it in different ways for different reasons it's it's just insanely cool but Zvo, i do want to ask you to do me a favor because i i'm hopeful that like, some people have have joined i see them commenting i see them in there you're doing something really awesome that i i, I love that you do this every year with with nam is is to to help kids get a, a good christmas i want you to drop that link in the comments here and if, if you can i know it might have to take a minute to find it but it is so cool what you do so give like let people know what you're doing uh I, I can't tell, you know, if, if there's 108 fans in here that have not seen the show before, don't, are not familiar with Vo, this is so cool. I just, I'll give you a minute to talk about it. I need you to talk about this. Oh, you're muted. Yeah, absolutely. No, I saw I was muted. I got excited there. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Nam has, like, White Sox Twitter is such a weird, like, diverse place, and my wife picks on me for it every single day. But Nam has become one of my best friends in the entire world. Um, and we decided that, like, we're really, really blessed. And we have, uh, you know, an abundance of things and experiences. And uh, we wanted to give back a little bit. And um, last year we did the uh, our first ever uh, toy drive. Thank you, Yumper. Did you do that? Yes. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I dropped it in. Um, we did our first ever toy drive. And now this is the the second one. We're actually going to go shop next week. It's a little bit later um, than what we usually do. Um, and now, after we've had this episode, I'm going to make sure that we buy um, some Star Wars toys for some kids. Uh, so some kid out there will get, maybe get to experience the passion that, that we have for these movies and the love for this. So that means a lot to me from you that that we're going to do this. We're going to do this again every year if we can. Um, very, very excited for it. Yeah, I think it's really cool that uh, Swole and uh, Nam do that. And, you know, just working in the community like I've been doing, you know, my previous career and what I try to do now in terms of charity and stuff like that. You know, just little small gestures like this do mean a lot to people who are struggling. And as a kid, you know, I was fortunate to have 
you know, to get toys as a kid and see kids without toys that, you know, are good kids just unfortunately don't have the money for it. Stuff like people doing things like this will make an impact on them, you know, going forward that there are good people out there that are trying to help. And you guys do an excellent job. Uh, Nam is a little bit more quiet in terms of, you know, how good of a guy he is, uh, except when he talks about shit to me about losing weight during the one weight loss. <laughs> but um, you guys right are excellent now. people. Yeah, you guys are excellent people. And, you know, Cherizi, like, dude, I, I love bullshitting with you. I, you know, every time I chance, like, we, we, we get together at the games, I always try to bullshit with you and we go back and forth. You know, thank you so much for coming out, my man. Like, you, you're always welcome on here. Anything you want to talk about, same thing goes out to, you know, Beef and MSS. You guys support that you've given us throughout the whole year, you know, means a lot to us for such a little, you know, we're a little like peons compared to you guys, but... You know, just like the the guidance you guys have given us, you know, the support, everything like that, the constant reaching out, you know, it means a lot, and we really appreciate it. To to since it's a movie shot, quote one of my favorite movies, and say the pleasure is all on this side of the table. All right. <laughs> Do you want to uh, plug your uh, shows, my man? Yeah, of course. So if you, I would say, if if you want to get the where all the the best content right now is coming into, I would say go to YouTube.com slash from the 108 we've got a bunch of stuff going up there right now so we've got beef loaf's doing a, a question of the day every day our guy Bruhan luke is doing a beer a christmas beer every day for the 24 days up until christmas uh our star wars show is there the one that i do with josh nelson uh and then uh, of course our our weekly podcast is is done there as well uh and then it from the 108.com is is the main thing and you could get me on Twitter is where I'm at most is at Treasy, or you can follow at from the 108. Cool. Thanks again, Treasy. Uh, I dropped the link to your guys' YouTube in the chat. So if you guys haven't subscribed to them, please do. Uh, I do love the Southside point of view and I tune in every Thursday to hear you guys bullshit about whatever. <laughs> so um, it. They, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, and thank you, Treasy. Take it easy, my man. Well, that was excellent, dude. That was fantastic. That went way better than I could have imagined. Um, what do we have? Uh, what do we have coming soon, Yump? So, to, for our coming soon, we're actually going to go with another member of the 108 community, and we mentioned them earlier. We're going to go with King Nam, and we're going to discuss Christmas movies. Something Nam's very <laughs> passionate about. As the motherfucker put up his tree right after Thanksgiving. No, 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 no. It <laughs> no. was the day after Halloween. <laughs> day after Halloween, yes. Jesus Christ. So we're going to uh, do some Christmas movies with King Nam. So that should be a fun show. Absolutely. Very excited for that. Um, and on top of that, before we move on to your final thought, I just wanted to give another mention and shout out to the uh, Chi-Town Sports Bums who were actually doing a podcast with on February 18th at the Relish Room at the Winter Circle restaurant on uh, 2622 North Clark Street. And you want to tell everybody what we're doing afterwards, Will? Yeah, we are going to meet up at uh, Burwood Tap for drinks um, and food if you want to afterwards. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. You can come watch us record live at the Wiener Circle. Uh, they do have like windows to view in. Um, we're really, really excited about that. Definitely. And uh, shout out to the uh, Sports Bums. You guys are awesome. Uh, look forward to working with you guys on many other projects and check them out as well at the on YouTube at the Chicago Sports Bums. Uh, but with that, guys, we're going to start closing, putting a button on this uh, episode. Thanks again to Cherizi for coming out. Thanks to everybody in the comments. Uh, Swole, happy birthday. 
my man. Uh, We love you. I love you too, Um, buddy. I hope you had a good weekend. Um, And guys, thank you so much for everything. All the support is awesome. Uh, Please, you know, check out the From the One Away. Check out the bums and check out the other stuff on thetanglove.com. And check out Brian's new show, Getting Drafty in Here. It's hilariously done. That is the understatement of the year. Um, That shit is hilarious. The Thanksgiving food draft was so funny. The 8-bit Nintendo games was awesome. Um, I absolutely love it. I'm so happy he's part of our family and not with a competing. Not that we compete with anybody, um, but I'm so happy that he's part of our family and not with someone else because that shit is hilarious. Definitely, definitely. Uh, But with that, Swole, let's get to your final thought. Awesome. So my final thought this week has to do with something that I'm very, very passionate about, and it's punctuality. if you're going to go to an event, whether it be a White Sox game or a movie, last night my my lovely wife took me to see Burt Kreischer. Um, you know, you, everybody knows the machine and his stand-up routine. Um, show up to the event on fucking time because I don't want to have to get out of my seat 10 fucking times with your flashlight on your iPhone in my face because you couldn't get to the venue on time. It says it on the ticket. Show up. Get to your seats and let me watch what I fucking paid for. That being said, thank you all for watching our episode, tuning in live today. We appreciate you all. Um, Toy shopping is happening this week with Nam, and um, we're very, very excited. So we'll see you guys soon. Deuces. Thank you for listening to Yumper and Svo at the show podcast. A tan and glove production. That's it. I'm getting out of here.